0: Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is episode 25, a lot to get through. We just recorded for about 30 minutes and realized we <laughs> weren't recording. Two. <laughs> Take two. Uh, had an issue with my uh, SD card, so thank you very much. Bogues, we're going to rehash all this. We're talking for a good 30, 40 minutes, but we just got out of the Brooklyn-Milwaukee game. We delayed this podcast, so it's probably almost past midnight now At um, in Dallas. Pro, what's going on?
1: Ah fuck. We're all into it, Bogues. I was I, I gave it my all. I don't know. I, I think I fucking blew my load now. I don't think I'm fucking, you know, <laughs> ready to do, ready to go forward with this, but I'm gonna give it my you know, give the old college try now.
0: Oh it's the old the old trolling era.
1: Great game though, man. Great fucking game to finish game seven with the Milwaukee series. What'd you think of the game?
0: Awesome game, a lot a lot to talk about in it. You know, I think um, Drew Holiday making shots late in that fourth quarter was huge. A guy that hasn't had a great series. Um, I think Giannis with the free throw challenge continued to stay aggressive and wanted to get to the line even though he wasn't shooting it that well. I think he still shot it better than his than his season percentage. Um, Airboard a few of them, but percentage was a decent. Stayed aggressive. Middleton made some huge shots for him. Brooke Lopez made some 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 big plays, blocked a Kevin Durant jumper and, and then on the flip side, I mean Kevin Durant to me, unbelievable just single-handedly kept them in the game, made that tough shot to put it into OT and and to me, you know, I, I've got him penned as one of the if not the best pure scorer of all time, as far as any spot on the floor. So you've got MJ, you've got Kobe, but a guy that's seven foot tall, even though he says he's 16, he's seven foot, long wingspan, handles the ball like a Kyrie Irving type, he, he was posting early in that game against Drew Holiday. He was hitting threes on PJ Tucker. He was crossing over Chris Middleton. I just haven't seen a guy with with the tool bag of a Kevin Durant and the height and skill. And I think he will go down as, as the greatest scorer of all time when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, you know, if he played enough games this year, I thought he was the MVP. I thought he was the best player just because he could score in any spot of the floor. He's a phenomenal player. And he's the closest thing, maybe beside maybe him and Kawhi are the closest thing to those old school players that are just sort of focused, they're in in tune, you know, they work out, they know no no bullshit, they take care of their bodies, they're they're competitors and they just they could fucking score and they could score for days. And you know, it's almost impossible to defend the guy. And um it was a hell of a game, a hell of an effort that they had. They, they you know, fell a little short, but I agree with you. I think he's one of the more, uh, I think he's one of the best scorers of all time. Just because, look with that height, with that wingspan, I mean, he gets his shot off easily, whatever, whenever he wants to. And then if you try to run him off the line, he can handle it like a point guard, and he could just get to the basket, finish. He had, you know, I think coming in the league, he was he was a little bit questioned about his body. He had that Rashad Lewis type body, but. Man, he he's done a great job taking care of himself. He can handle the ball. I mean, he shoots it from deep easily. And, um, man, what a great game tonight. I mean, great game. You know, shout out to the fucking training staff. I mean, they got, you know... Everybody playing 48 minutes. It seemed like there was like six players in each team that
0: played. 50, yeah, 50s with overtime. And and that's another thing we're going to bring up. You know, we we there's often people out there that talk about load management as, as the key phrase that has kind of come up the last 5, 10 years in the NBA and the NBL and, and all sports about minute limits and keeping guys kind of fresh. I think it somewhat showed it's um, why it's important at times. You know, Kevin Durant played every minute last game, the game before the one today. Um, and I think it was game six. Played every minute tonight and then airboard a potential game winner. And I'm not saying it was simply because of that. It was some great defense. There was a bunch of factors, but you know, there's a reason why you got to get some rest every now and then for guys and keep their legs fresh. And even if they got through this series playing KD, who's a world class athlete in phenomenal shape, it can take its toll. It can take its toll towards an injury. It can take a take toll towards missing a free throw because you've got no legs, or in this case, uh, you know, a, a three that he makes a lot of the times late game. So, the load management thing I think is more important than sometimes people give it credit for.
1: Yeah, especially in playoff time. You know, and the training staff and the medical staff, they they meet all year about, you know, trying to work, you know, all those like load management days and, you know, taking days off. They're all doing it for this moment to try to rest guys and get them in the best possible position. But when you're only playing six guys and, you know, mostly just five guys – it's really hard. It's really hard to, you know, I mean, 50 plus minutes, you know, it, it takes a toll. Plus you got, you got PJ Tucker on you. You got, you know, game seven. It's been a long year anyway with the injury stuff that he had to deal with. It's uh man. And he carried his team and, and, he, and he brought it to the, you know, the brink of winning a game. And he just came up a little short, dude. He he played his balls off. It was a, you know, it's one of those things. You know, it's like a Kobe esque effort, man. You know, Jordan like effort, and that's why he's such a, you know, he's such a fun player to watch. He's an entertaining player. He, he does it. He tries to do it the right way, the best he can, and. Man, it was it was a great game. Hats off to fucking Milwaukee too, man. Hats off to you, folks. You're a, you're a, you're a bucket. Heart. From
0: Milwaukee, Buck, and I was I was pulling for them. Um, I, I love KD, um, love his game, but I'm not a super team fan. I don't like super teams. I don't like guys all kind of in to come together to try and win a championship. Even though I joined one, a bit of a hypocrite, but um, yeah, I, I love the Milwaukee Bucks. They developed Giannis. They drafted him. They built around him. Now they've got a chance to go to a conference finals and a, potentially a finals. I think that was fun to watch and just how how big these playoff series are for people. I mean, if if the Bucks lost this game, I, I don't think uh, Mike Budenhauser, Bud their coach, would probably be even allowed on the flight. He already he would be reading right now that he would have been fired. <laughs> you know, so and, and it was a two point. It was a, a game that came down a an air ball shot by one of the best players in the world in Kevin Durant, and that's how small. It is. And now Bud's has gone to a conference finals and can potentially get his team to a finals. And it was a phenomenal series. I think this playoffs in general, I think, has had a lot of surprises. And I think that's what you want. I, I think the, the Warriors run, which was fantastic, and I was part of a few years of it. Once they got Duran, it was kind of somewhat boring because you just you just knew you're like, I'm gonna circle Golden State to win here and the rest will take care of itself. And you know, the bubble year and this year, it's like you just don't know who's who's in the mix. Injuries are playing a huge part, as you mentioned. COVID, home court advantage has gone out the window for the most part so to see a game go seven like this and see the underdog team win fan bloody tastic and a big fan of it as a former milwaukee buck i'd love to see them go out of you know teams remaining if they could win a championship for me I'd, i'd be a happy man bro yeah
1: why wouldn't you be you know you got Giannis, you got middleton they're really fun to watch drew holiday even though he didn't have a great you know great great game or great series you know he steps up you know you got uh D. he's hurt. You know, guys are stepping up. Connaughton's stepping up. P.J. Tucker did a fantastic job defensively. And he, he's one of those guys who just fucks the game up. And, you know, it's a, they're a fun team to watch. Hey, hopefully they can go as far as they can. They got, a, they got great players. They got, yeah, great, they got great fans. They got ownership that supports the team. You know, it's funny. Like, Bud, you know, everyone's like, kicking Bud out. You know, going to lose his job, blah, blah, blah. And now he's toast to the town. And it's funny how they just forget. And we'll talk about that in other coaches and other, other series that we'll discuss. But it's just funny how people jump on that bandwagon of when they kick you when you're down and then they fucking blow you when they love you, you know, when you're doing well. It's got to be fucking aggravating. But, you know, that's just with the money everybody's making at that level, I guess that's the shit you got to deal with.
0: Yeah, and social media doesn't help. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's thoughts get out there, and we're all guilty of it at times. um, That, you know, there's probably no worse time to be a coach where you can just knuckle down and focus on you. You've got all these distractions, and now you've got a staff of 10 coaches under you, and then you've got all these scouts and analytics people and you know, GMs and assistant GMs. So it's a different time. But um, yeah, kudos. Kudos to the Bucs. They will face, which is a hard one to talk about. They're going to face the winner of Philly and Atlanta. That's a game seven as well. Goes tomorrow. Been an interesting series um, for a number of reasons. Um, I think Atlanta squandered a chance to win this series in game six. I think if they were going to win it, it was going to be on their home floor. I think going to a game seven, in Philly, even though the season is upside down and everything we pick kind of goes the other way, I think Philly should win this at home and move on. I think Philly, you know, the problem for them, you know, is our Australian brethren in in, in Ben Simmons. He's, um, you know, the free throw thing for him. I've been there. I've been in that dark place before. It can get pretty lonely when you're getting hacked on purpose and having to go to the line. I wasn't really in a spot where Ben is, though, where I was, you know, 20, 20 25 30%, whatever he is. That's, you know, tough. And the problem for Benny is he's not a three-point shooter. He's not a jump shooter. He's an aggressive get to the rim, draw fouls, guys You know, trying to just beast guys in there and usually does. Takes away from that all of a sudden if he doesn't want to get to the line. And we've seen it these last two games early on in quarters where they're not in the bonus, he'll be much more aggressive and try to attack. Even if he gets fouled, he can pretend like he wasn't shooting so he doesn't have to get to the line. If you watch the games, when they're in the bonus, he's taking the foot off the gas. He'll usually give the ball up early in transition and run to the dunker. And I think he's um, you know, his offensive firepower has gone out the window. But the the problem with all this is and that Doc has is he guards very, very well. He's an all-league defensive player, made the all-defensive team, first team, I believe. And him and Matisse Thaible are doing a, a pretty good job of making Trey Young. Trey Young's gonna get his buckets, but they're making him work for it with their length. So Doc's issue is, you know, I take out Ben and then you know, we, we score a bucket, how are we getting a stop on Trey Young? So how do you how do you see all that with Ben and, and do you think I mean, do you think they get through Game 7 number one with that all going on? And, and do you think they can even get further with, with the woes of Ben Simmons? I think it's
1: going to come up more and more. I, I do think they're going to get, win Game 7. I think they're just too good. I think Atlanta's too inexperienced to to win Game 7 on the road. And I think they just have too much experience and talent behind them. And they got a great coach and doc. I do think the Simmons thing is going to be a problem. We talk about Giannis and Ben all year about free throws. But the big difference between Giannis and Ben is Giannis actually wants to be there. You know, it doesn't matter if the guy goes three for thirty from the line. He still he gets to the line, he does his routine, and he and he, he doesn't mind it. Now he might get a little fucked up depending on you know the results of these things, but he still wants to be there. Ben doesn't, and you know, we talked in, in, in other pods about my work with Rajon Rondo when he came to Dallas, when he came in about forty forty five percent from the line, and you know it took him a while, a couple months, but. Last 20 games of the year, he shot about 74% from the line. And the reason why is he wanted to, you know, first of all, he put the work in, put it, put the work in before practice, after practice, at night, shot on Christmas. You know, the guy wanted to get his, you know, worked in his free throw. And then he wanted to get there. He dealt with struggles from the line, but the more and more you get there and the more competitive you are and the positive attitude you have coming to the line, as long as your routine stays the same and you work through the fundamentals, eventually it's going to turn the corner. But with Ben, he just doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to get there. So it it is a big problem. It's going to become problems. It's going to become very problematic when, I mean, you see these playoff games, especially the deeper rounds you get, the games get closer. The games get within a possession or two. And, and, you know, you're missing a few free throws down the stretch. If you're coming out, like you get fouled three straight times and three straight possessions, you're coming out with one point or zero points in the possession. And then the other team comes down and makes the three or makes the and one or two. Now you're putting your team in this hard way, team in harm's way. I just, I understand what Doc's dilemma is about, you know, not putting him on the floor at times, but in my opinion, talent, you know, he, he's one of the best players you have. Not the best, but he's one of the best. And having him on the floor, I think you get hurt not having him on the floor. But when it comes to the free throw shooting, you know, that that comes into play. Yeah, it's a it's a dilemma. I, I, I can't say that I have an, an answer for it. Because you know, you I I could see why you would think both sides of this argument.
0: Well, I I mean, mean, if you're dark and you take him out, because they're going to hack him, and then um, you get an empty possession, and then. You're coming down defensively and Trey Young breaks his man down, doesn't have a lot of length on him, has a cork mars on him or someone like that and gets a, a wide open, you know, gets a, a good shot off that he wouldn't have got off against Ben Simmons, then you then you're having that mental warfare in your own mind if you're doc of like, shit, maybe we'll just take the two miss free throws, but we know we're gonna get locked down defensively. So he's in a bit of a conundrum. He's I think, you know, doing the hockey subs works to an extent, but if it's a live ball play and you can't get Ben back in there for a vital defensive position, then I think you're behind the eight-ball defensively. So for those out there that are just like Oh, they should just bench him. You know, whenever it's crunch time, it's it's not as easy as that. You got You got you to keep him out there. And the point you made about Giannis, I think Giannis being the number one guy on his team helps his confidence to an extent of like it's do or die. If, if I do, if I do well we're doing. If I do bad, we're dying. It's on me. I need to, whether I go 5 for 15 from the line or 10 for 10, I'm getting every touch. I think Ben isn't the number one guy on that team offensively. I don't think he's two or three, to be honest with you. I think, you know, you've got um, Tobias in there as well. I think Seth Curry's now probably jumped over Ben offensively as far as how important he is to score and then Embiid's a clear number one. So, I think Ben can kind of get in his head a little bit of like, well, you know, okay, I can just, we can just defer to Joel and I can just stand here in the in the dunker and then that mentally just Takes away from his aggressiveness. So it is interesting to see what they're gonna do, whether they whether they Doc was adamant during the regular season and even early in the playoffs, he was on record commenting that he's not gonna bench Ben, he's not gonna take him out when they're hacking, blah, blah, blah. Well, he did it the last couple of games. Um, and then you've got that whole does Ben then feel disrespected by Doc? That whole game of 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 one of your superstars isn't isn't happy. I hope that's not the case. I'm not saying it is, but that can can rear its ugly head as well. And that can also, you know, hurt his confidence a little bit too thinking like hey shit if I don't make these two I just got hacked if I don't make these two am I seeing a guy run to the scorers table straight away you know so it is a tough situation for the year in
1: yeah it, all this these other factors do, does sort of creep its ugly head because of social media and people are on it constantly and they read it and they, they're they you know they sort of read into it and they believe it hey look a head coach has a million different decisions they're going to make during the game and you know that's why I don't really question coaches a lot because of the fact that it is a hard job. And whatever decision you make, it doesn't matter if it's a lineup, a play, a player, it, you got your positives and negatives. You give something up, you, something good happens out of it. You know, you get an advantage, but you also get a disadvantage in certain things. It could be a matchup defensively or offensively, you know, depending on the player you put out there at the time in which you put them out there. So look, Doc's just got to go, just like a player, as a coach, you just got to go with your gut and you got to go with the feel. He makes the decisions, you know, and everybody has an opinion. You, know, you have an opinion. I have an opinion. You know, the eight people who fucking listen to us get a fucking opinion. We all have opinions. And I just think that, you know, look, the head coach has to make his and and he has to live and die by it. But uh, they're a good team. They're fun. Embiid's done really well in the series, you know, even though with the knee – yeah, you know, I, I was expecting to be a cripple throughout the whole series. I, you know, he's done well. I mean, at times, sometimes he gets shut down, but for the most part, he's done well. And, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting what Simmons does, you know, here here on in as far as you know being subbed in, subbed out in, in certain situations. But if you want to be a superstar in this league and, and you want to be that person that everybody relies on, you got to embrace getting to the free throw line and you got to deal with it. And it's it's demons. You got to deal with those demons, and I understand it's embarrassing missing shots. But you got to say fuck it. You know, I got to get on a roll, make make a couple in a row, and then just roll with it, and you know, continue to work on it. But you got to embrace being there because if if you're a coach, everybody sees it that he doesn't want to be there. Of course, they're going to fucking hack a shack on a kid, you know, and they're going to force him to get to the line. I would, you know, with Giannis, I would have put him on the line thirty fucking times a game in the series and figured out if he's going to make free throws or not. Now, of course, I'm joking a little bit, but seriously, like, if you see somebody struggling at the line and doesn't want to be there, just put them on the line all day and force them to fucking do something.
0: And not only that, it stymies your offensive flow too. So if you've got if you've got star players in your team, a Joel Embiid or Seth Curry's rolling from three, and you just go to the hack for like, you know, give him 16 straight free throws, eight straight trips to the line. It's kind of deflating, and then it stymies the flow of Joel hasn't touched it for a while. Seth hasn't touched it for a while, you know. So there's a there are some positives to it that can just junk up a game, and that's why teams go to it. You know, they take that they take that Seth gamble, and and we saw it at times. You know, Land would come down, hit a three, and they'd hack, and they'd cut into that lead, and. You know it's just something that I think if Ben just goes with a mindset of I've got to go at least at least one for two, but I'm, I'm gonna to try to go two for two. If he just knocks one 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 for two, one for two, two for two, one for, I mean, then they'll have to stop doing it because he's getting over a point of possession. But if it's if it's empty possessions and then like you said, you can you can see in his face that he doesn't want to touch that thing again, the team's gonna keep doing it and there's no other way out of it than than making it. And that's what when I used to get hacked sometimes towards the end of my career post-elbow surgery and whatnot, that's what guys would say. You know, coach would be like just just focus on knocking one down. Just these two or these two for Free throws that you have, just focus on them. Don't focus about what happens if I miss these two, what happens if I get subbed out, what happens if they do it again. Don't worry about all that. And you know, at times it affected my game. There's no doubt about it. Um, but you gotta try to, I guess, push through it. Um, and that's just the way it goes. But let's move on from, from that series. We'll go to the Clippers and Jazz, which was a very interesting series. The Jazz started off amazingly in that series, two zero, the clips clawed back. Kawhi did his knee in, I believe, game four. Maybe it was game. Was it game four or five?
1: I think it was f- five. No, four. I think it was four.
0: Yeah, I think it was they four. Won, they won two straight, and they won two straight without Kawhi because mm-hmm. I think I made a joke about Lu making an adjustment of the series by benching Kawhi <laughs> and and getting those two wins. But um, the Jazz just really imploded. You know, there's a lot of talk around why, which we'll get to now. But. I had two things. There's the Rudy Gobert factor about all the shit he's copying now. About he should have got taken out of the game, which we'll talk about. And the other one for me was 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 Joe Ingles and his role. Maybe the Australian bias in me, but it felt like whenever Conley Conley was in and out of the lineup all year, and it would just he was hurt and then he wasn't. He was hurt and then he wasn't. I felt like when he was out of the lineup, Joey's usage went up. He's very good out of the pick and roll. He just takes his time. But when Conley was in the lineup, Joe was really a fourth-fifth option offensively. He, he wasn't involved as much usage-wise. He was more a spot up shooter, which he which he he's very good at as well. But I, I felt like they were better at times with Joe handling the ball, putting Donovan at two. When Conley was there, it didn't equate. But talk to us about about the Rudy Gobert hate and how you think that affected the series.
1: You know, it's funny, like same thing with the media, right? Like, you know, Quinn Snyder, aka Utah. He, you know, for the last two years, people people say, yeah, you know, everybody in the media is saying how much of a genius he is, genius he is, genius he is. He's a smart coach. He's a very good coach. And I, I think he's done a great job. They did a great job building the organization. But now, you know, Rudy, in this, especially last game, he gets burnt. I think he was a minus 23. And everybody's killing Quinn Snyder all night about why you get him out of the game, why not get out of the game. I feel as though... Look, Rudy Gobert is one of the more dominating defensive presidents, presidents, big men in the league in the last ten years or so. I mean, the guy's very good. Block shots. You beat somebody on the perimeter. He's still going to rim protect. He's still going to protect. You know, to protect baskets. But now, all of you know, you take him out of the game because another team's going small, and you're just you're going to hurt yourself. Like we talked about, every decision you make, it might be a little bit better, but you're going to lose something. Well. You know, I would rather, much rather him protecting the rim with like, Paul George attacking the rim and you know Man and all those guys attacking the rim, rather than having nobody back there or Derek Favors back there. I think you know everybody's a, a fucking genius on Twitter and saying, well, they should have went small ball and, di- and did this and did that. But look, this is what got him there. Well, playing Rudy Gobert, I'm sure many teams tried to go small on him throughout the year. Rudy Gobert is what got him here, and I think he just went with his gut. But that's just how it is. Like, Ty Lu was being compared to a seventh-grade coach in the first two games of the Dallas series, first two games of this series, going down o two, 2 And now he's, you know, now he's Red Auer back, you know, because <laughs> he, he wins the series. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's he, like either one way or another. either either a good coach. You he, he think he's a good coach or he's not, but that's just
0: the what fucking you bullshit you got to deal what with. What have it. you done for me lately?
1: Exactly. No
0: question. I think the Rudy thing, you know, for sure, like their whole – their number one seed – the num what were they defensive? Were they number one defensively? That they, they would have been top five. I don't know if they were number one, but they were they were up there. It was all predicated upon we're sending guys to Rudy at the bucket because we have confidence in him altering a shot, getting a deflection, or getting a block shot. Right, so they've done that for 35, 40 minutes a game for the whole series. So these people out there that are like, should have bench Rudy, played him fifteen minutes. Then what you're going to see is Rudy, uh, uh, Paul George crosses his guy over gets two feet in the paint, that's no longer a floater or a contested one-foot fadeaway runner. That is, or a pull-up jumper. A lot of times, Paul George would get to the dots and then spin back and shoot a fadeaway. That's now a dunk. That's what people don't understand. Now, Favors isn't a great rim protector. He's okay. Georges and the Yang, if they go small, isn't isn't a rim protector at all. So now you're going away from what made you great. And they have some, let's be honest, they have some slower guys defensively on the perimeter as well. Like, you know, Joey's a solid defender, great high IQ defender, but not the fastest guy. Bogdanovich has his moments, isn't known as a fantastic defender. But they knew, I can, I can get away with a little bit more because Rudy's behind me. So now take Rudy out. Those guys, I think, would look worse. So these people that think it's just a matter of, all right, we're just going to bench Rudy and and small ball. We're going to out-small ball them. That was not Utah. And Utah don't really have a small ball lineup to compete with a small ball lineup of the Clippers or if they faced Phoenix down the line or whatever. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, you know, Quinn, obviously, they, they did choke a little bit. And much like the Denver series last season, up 3-1, they lost that. I think, you know, Quinn's going to have some questions to answer the next season. I think he's a, he's a good coach. But if he doesn't get over that hump, he's probably going to be in that same position that Coach Bud with Milwaukee is in right now. Um, whereas if there's one more early exit or second-round exit in the playoffs, he'll be on the hot seat and could be gone. But um, they're probably going to have to make some changes. I mean, their bench is one. I mean, Jordan Clarkson was great for him, sixth man of the year, great scoring. George's and the Yang and Favors were pretty much the rotation for him. I'm not sure what they have in the form of draft picks, probably probably not much there. But they probably need another veteran or two on a on a buyout type deal. The the problem is it's Utah. No veteran wants to go and play in Utah. It's one of those cities that no one no one's gonna take a buyout to generally go to. You never see them going there. They're always going to LA or one of the biggest cities, um, Cleveland when 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 LeBron was there. So it'll be interesting to see how how that I don't think they need a blow up, but they they probably need to tweak a few things and then the other thing is, are we biding time until Donovan Mitchell gets frustrated and says, "Get me the hell out of here?"
1: Yeah, I think every team sort of looks at their superstar and, and, and asks that question, you know and that's just how we that's what we're dealing with in today's game, just the players sort of dictate it and you know they, they, they deal with stuff long enough and then they want to go and then you're fucked, especially if they're a superstar. I think I think they got to tweak the second unit. I think they got to increase the scoring. You know, I always talk about like the second unit guys are the most important unit on your team because when you start taking out your superstars in your first unit, now you have your second unit to really make some, you know, either, you know, dig into a lead that the other team has and a deficit or increase your own lead. So I think increasing more scoring off the bench would be good for them. Look, I agree with you with Ingles. I think he's the best playmaker on that whole team. You know, no offense to Conway. Conway's a very tough kid. He plays hard, good in pick and roll. But Ingalls sort of has better vision. Like, he makes easier looks. I think Conway, like, just makes the, you know, Conway and Donovan Mitchell make good reads. I mean, good, like, just decision making is okay. I think Ingalls has got great, just sort of feel for the game as far as, you know, vision and passing. And um, either players have it or they don't. And I just think Ingalls, you're right. I think, you know, especially when you need him to do some things. I think he, he's very good in pick and roll because he makes great decisions and he's got great vision to see the floor and the space. But I think they just have to upgrade some – you know, they definitely got to get better offensively coming off the bench to to help with Clarkson. Either it's more shooting. I don't know if a guy, you know, a Lou Williams type could be good there because you got Clarkson. I'm not saying Lou Williams. I'm just saying a type. So, I don't know what, what player they five, need, but they definitely – think a stretch five. Yeah. They,
0: if you can get a Lopez type yeah. – um, someone like that that can give them a small ball lineup for 10 minutes, I think and then eliminates what your weakness was in this last series, right? So I think a, a stretch yeah. five, even even um, if Miles Leonard ever got back in the league, wouldn't be a, a horrible option as a backup if they ever allowed that, that, that guy to get back in the league. Um, but someone like that, a stretch seven-footer that can still rebound, but also hit a three, that's probably what they're missing off that bench.
1: Hey, well, I just go to 1313 Laundale Avenue. I, I'm <laughs> sure he, I could get help them out. I'm 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 saying Lawndale is gonna be a Utah fucking jazz. So hey, get used to get used to everything shutting down at seven o'clock. Lawndale, you'll be in you'll be in Salt Lake, brother.
0: Now Utah's gotten better. It's all right now. When I was in college, though, it was tough. It was it was a tough place to find a place to get into. But there was a few <coughs> places that let old Boggs in with a fake ID. So shout out to those those few bars. One of them was Portico, which was on the corner. I don't know if it's still there, but I used to sneak into there. Until I was sitting at the bar one day watching ESPN highlights. Of our game, I just finished and it said 20 uh, year old Andrew Bogart. <laughs> the waitress turned around and looked at me, looked at me and was like, 20 year old? Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, maybe, may- maybe Wandale could use your bike that you got in the accident with.
0: Oh, uh, got into that fucking parking lot. Yeah, that bad boy's gone. A bad boy was crushed. But um, all right, Clippers, they, they definitely, I didn't think they get through this series, especially. I thought they had a chance, obviously, to get through. But once um, once Kawhi went down, I thought, well, oh, the Jazz are going to roll with this. Even after the Game 5 loss, I still kind of was feeling the Jazz would win six and then wrap it up at home. But credit to them, Reggie Jackson was huge for him. Terrence Mann, game of his life. Hall of Fame performance in, in Game 6. But um, we don't know much about Kawhi. I mean, it says ACL sprain. Have you heard anything else about his knee?
1: No, I haven't heard. I just I hear what everyone else heard on that. Just sprained knee. He's out for the first couple of games of the conference final. You know, so I don't know, but Terrence fucking man, man, it's a great story, you know, especially in my profession and development. It's a great fucking story. This guy went to Portsmouth Invitational, you know, usually when seniors go to Portsmouth Invitational, it's a, it's a tournament that they put on in Portsmouth, Virginia, and you know, it's for the seniors that are trying to get ready for the draft. Usually, it used to be a big time tournament where a lot of first rounders would go. Now, mostly just second rounders and D League guys go. So he goes there, gets drafted in the second round because the AU coach that I used to work for in Boston he plays for he plays for an AU team out of Boston where the AU coach is a scout for the uh, scouts for the Los Angeles Clippers. He stands up in a meeting and says, "You got to draft this kid." They draft him. They don't. They have a little bit of like upside with the kid, but now he comes in, scores about like hundred points his whole first year or so, and then just stays ready and makes impact not only on the this series but also the Dallas series where he just goes in and plays. You know, he's very much like Dorian Finney-Smith to me, where the kid, the kid just fucking plays hard. It doesn't matter if he's going against a Hall of Famer or a fucking eighth, you know, eighteenth guy on a roster. He's going to give you his all. And the guy just got hot, and he just kept rolling with it. It's a fucking awesome story, you know. And and you know, it's a lot like Bruce Brown with with Brooklyn. Guys just plays hard as shit, and he just got fucking hot. He got fucking Larry Bird hot. He got fucking Michael Jordan hot. He was he was very he was very good last game.
0: Yeah, fifteen for twenty one, seven for ten from three, two for two from the line. Not much else um, as far as you know, rebounds and assists, but thirty nine points in thirty six minutes. Got him over the line, so they then move on. To Phoenix, it's um, a series that we can predict now. Game one is tomorrow morning Australian time, um, your evening, but it will be it will be an interesting series. CP three reportedly out for game one and possibly two with COVID COVID protocol. Um, so I assume he caught COVID, and Kawhi they're being real coy with the messaging. So I've got I've got my suspicions that it could be an injury that he's out for a while, um, and they just don't want to announce it. But I think the clips. We'll get ahead here. I think it'll be four three in a seven game series. I think they're gonna get the first couple. I think I think the CP three loss for Phoenix is greater than the Kawhi loss for Clippers, if that makes sense. Because I think CP is the heart and soul of that team. Especially in those playoff games that get bogged down in the half court, like we saw with this Brooklyn Milwaukee game. CP three is just so good at getting getting the shot they want in their offense and getting a good one up not turning it over, not throwing it to someone where they're shooting some bullshit shot. He gets you a good shot every possession, and they're going to miss that their first couple of games. So I predict the Clippers in this one in a close series. And the other thing I noticed with the Clippers without Kawhi, now you'll rather always have Kawhi than not, but it seems like the roles are much more defined now. So it's like Paul George, you're our guy. Everyone else, Reggie Jackson, we're playing playing supporting roles but have to be more aggressive in our supporting role-playing mentality. Batum, Morris Sr., Terrence Mann, uh, Patrick Beverly hit some big shots in that game against Utah. So, um, just an interesting observation that it seems like the role players have stepped up a little bit more now, which they should with Guay out.
1: Yeah. In this league, you always got to stay ready, man. You, you got to know your role and stay ready. I think when players fight their role and they try to do too much, you, know, you just got to sort of get ready. Like at one day, you might have a role for 20, 30 games, and then an injury or two happens, and you got to step into another role. But,. I agree when, when it's very defined where, Hey, Paul George is our guy. We're going to roll with him. And then everybody just support him. Zubach does his thing. Batum does his thing. Jackson does his thing. Rondo does his, you know, and and everybody just sort of plays around that, you know, and and now you have this Terrence man factor, you know, where he's going to be play a major role in this series, I believe. And it'll be an interesting watch for sure. I think, um, I think the, and I apologize to the Clippers organization, uh, Clipper Darrell. Uh, I think the uh, Clippers will win in six. And, and you know, that's a kiss of death when I like you as a team. I apologize. Um, but I got to roll with my pick. I think they'll win in six. I think they've got experience, uh, they've got player, they got talent. And I think that, uh, you know, I think with Chris Paul missing at least a game is going to mess them up a little bit. And then they don't really have the experience. Hey, look, Ayton has done a great job in his development. Bridges obviously Booker what he's doing, but I just think that um, Jay Crowder obviously. But I just think that talent. Uh, I think the Clippers just have a little bit too much talent for Phoenix. But who knows? Phoenix has home court advantage. You know, maybe they do. Maybe they do to the Clippers what the Clippers did to Utah. You know, they're missing Chris Paul, but Booker goes nuts, and then someone else out of the blue. Maybe Bridges pulls a fucking Terrence Man and goes for thirty five. You know, who knows? But. I think the Clippers will win. I think they're more experienced. I think they're going to win in six, but who the fuck knows?
0: Yeah, we continue to not rate Phoenix and doubt them, and they continue (laughs) to prove us wrong. So I guess if you have to apologize to the Clippers pro, you could probably tweet all five of their fans, so it wouldn't take you too long to apologize to all their fans. But um, the (laughs) parade, if they win it, will be interesting in LA to see how many many people show up, and if they're just at that parade by accident because they're doing something else in LA. No doubt. No doubt. All right, so that that's the basketball side of things on court. Now off court, it's been quite a week. Our, our run sheet here with news has been absolutely text heavy. First one is the implosion of the Dallas Mavericks, at least from a from a off the court level. Um, obviously, Luca Doncic extension hasn't been signed yet. We believe it will be signed. It's two hundred plus million. Who wouldn't sign that? And even if he isn't unhappy. The betting money says he'll sign it and then look to get out in a year or two. Tim Cato and Sam Emic from The Athletic, where our good friend Sherwood Strauss works. Um, you catch that podcast a couple episodes ago. Started with a story there that was leaked from inside the Dallas Mavericks organization about Haralabos Volgaris. We're going to call him Bob for um, spelling and pronunciation purposes. Pro has no chance pronouncing that. He was reportedly added as a shadow GM type in the organization. His, I believe his role is – I don't even know what his exact title is, but it's analytic-driven and advisor to the GM type role. But
1: offensive, uh, An offensive coordinator, if you've read the article.
0: Offensive coordinator, there you go. But um, <laughs> yeah. his voice yeah. has gotten louder and louder within the organization as far as worth and people value his opinion and, and Cuban can value whoever, his, his, whoever opinion he likes. He's the owner. But I think that's rubbed some people the wrong way and – there were there were issues about him have, having you know made calls to other teams about players, about trades, about whatnot. So the GM Donnie Nelson um, has been there twenty plus years. I, I don't think he liked that too much, you know, calling other teams and hearing that you know if that's the case. And I guess a, a few days after that, Donnie Nelson was fired. So I think we found who the leak was. So I, if I was a betting man, I'd say Donnie Nelson leaked it to the media, and he's probably you know, from his position was like, I'm, I'm not happy with this. I'm the GM. What the hell is going on? Why don't I have a say? Why are we listening to a guy that's not the GM? Um, but on the flip side, you know, Bob is is highly valued for his analytical prowess. For those who don't know him, he, he's a former professional sports bettor, made a shitload of money betting on on sports betting, you know, nuances, and, and he saw, you know, little deficiency. How would you word it? He saw little, little intricacies Within sports betting, on the way certain coaches coach games in garbage time, the rotations they made, which he studied it like religion and bet accordingly, and made algorithm, a shitload, yeah, made a shitload of money, yeah. Um, and Mark Cuban's hired him. He's an he's he's an all-in analytics guy and an absolute guru in that field. Works his nuts off as far as that goes. But so Cuban refuted the league. Donny Nelson gets fired, and then a couple of days after that, Rick Carlisle has resigned, which we'll get to a little bit later, but. This is what you kind of see in organizations at times. I I think um, Bob is probably a victim in a way of of coming in fresh face to organization and having probably too much say too early where a lot of the people that have been there for years are probably like what the fuck's going on why are we listening to this guy when he hasn't been here that long why are we listening to this guy when my title is higher on the food chain than his and that's whether you think that's right or wrong by that person arguing that that's that's, that's one whole separate issue but you I mean you were around I was around um, in Dallas I think Bob was with the Mavs as an unofficial advisor. It wasn't wasn't formally on their on their roster. I think the year I was there or leaving, he he then got signed towards the end of that season when you were there. So how have you seen all that? It's it's been, you know, for an NBA team to go through first a big leak of these sorts that doesn't look good on your owner and your GM and your coach, then the GM being fired and then the coach resigning all in a matter of days.
1: Yeah, it's a real busy week, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows what's going on. You know, it's everybody's shell shock was, you know, the whole the whole week and, and what happened. But look, with, with Bob, because Bob's such a character in the sense that no one really knows him. You know, everybody just sort of they read the name and and they they follow him on Twitter and social media and things. And you know, I was around him from my last year in Dallas. And he, he was officially with the club for the year and travel with the team, was around, was in and out. Um, I like Bob, you know, look, you know. Everyone has their, their sort of thing that they do. Everybody's got their opinions on the game. Uh, Bob's a, like, you know, you think sports gambler, you think of, like, Jimmy the Greek, you know, some fucking mafia guy, some 400-pound fucking mafia guy that sits at a fucking casino all day and smokes, you know, smokes fucking Marlboros betting on games. It's not like that. You know, He's analytically based. He had an analytics team when he was doing his gambling. He's got an analytics team uh, behind him now, and he's got a big staff that has, a, has his model and his model is one of the best in basketball for when I'm hurt. And on top of that, what I don't like about stats guys usually is they just go with their model. They never watch the game and they live and die by their model. Now, he's very confident in his model. I don't really know much about it. We talked a little bit about it. I sort of have an understanding of how he sees the game a little bit. But what I really, what I really respected about the guy was you know, we had like a five-day trip in L.A. And we're staying at, as, you know, at Staples at LA Live. And, you know, you know, that Ritz Carlton and the, um, the Ritz Carlton and the J.W. Marriott are sort of combined in the same hotel. And they have that big lobby restaurant bar area lounge. So in five days, I probably was in and out of that lobby like 35 times. And probably 90% of the time I saw him crushing film, you know, watching film on top of his model stuff. Hey, look, I don't know, you know, he might know what he's doing. He might not know what he's doing. But at least the guy not only like did his model, but he studied. You know, he studied the game as far as film. Asked a lot of questions. He could talk hoop. Not not the greatest of people person, but he wasn't like an like a total dick. But you know, he wasn't. You know, not not the greatest of people person either. Now on Donnie's side, I could see why if you're the GM of the team, you help them win a championship. You drafted two of their cornerstone players in franchise history, and you had all this history within the town and the organization, why you get a little pissed at this. Now, Bob's power, well, you could tell he was going to have some power in the future. I was only there one year. I don't really know what's going on, except for what I've heard from the people that I know around the league of what's been going on in the last couple of years. But the guy, obviously, you know, you're Johnny Nelson, you're the GM, you run the team, you made, you made all these moves and and you're a big part of the organization you have a guy that's coming in you're calling teams on trades he's calling teams on trades you know there is a power struggle and it could be you know and that's that's just human nature and that's what people don't understand in these organizations it's human nature people are very territorial the money and power of these or, of these titles in these positions are fucking ridiculous the money they make and the money that's on the line and the power that's on the line and with Bob's sake, he made all this money. So it may not be money oriented, but it might be power and ego oriented. With Donnie's deal, look, he's been there for all this time and he probably feels as though he, he deserves to, to, to run the, you know, to run the team. So I understand his frustration on it, but it's a power struggle and just human nature is going to take over and people are going to get pissed and and, and you're going to have these arguments and. You know, look, like that's not really sort of how most organizations are run. Usually you have one person in charge. You've got a bunch of people in on the decision making process, but you have one person in charge. And when you have the, you know, multiple voices, people get frustrated. And I think in NBA organizations, there's, there's so much behind the scenes, people undercutting each other because the money is so much. Look at, you know, assistant coach back in the day was probably making tw- 15, 20 years ago. Most of them were making the high side, probably 200 grand, one, two, 250, 275. Now you're having assistants that make upwards of a million dollars. Most of them, the head assistants make 650, 700 grand. You've got GMs that are making five million, three, three and a half to five million bucks. Some are making 10, most of which are probably making five or six. So if you're like a player development coach making 70, And you want to get in front of the coach, in front of the bench, and make that three hundred and fifty or four hundred or more? Then yeah, you're gonna do some unscrew. You're gonna do some fucking shady shit to get to where you got to go. And same thing with people in the front office. It's very competitive like that. I'm not saying that that's what happened in Dallas, but it's like it's just very competitive, and you know, it's a nuclear arms race of who's gonna get the own more of the owner's ear in most organizations, the coach, the GM maybe an outside entity like a Bob. So all these people are chasing that deal to try to get that power to sort of extend their stay, make more money, more extensions. And if it's between you or me, I'm going to push you off the fucking cliff. That's just sort of how it happens. So I could sort of see how this thing gets out of whack. And now look, you don't have a coach, you don't have a GM, and now you can start clean slate. You got to decide if Bob's going to be part of that or not. And or Bob's gotta decide if he wants to be a part of that or not. And then you gotta like now when you put the GM in charge and then you hire your coach, they gotta be on the same page and you gotta communicate that. And I think in most organizations, you gotta communicate to everybody on the organization. This is what you do. And I don't want you fucking doing anything else. Like this is what your role is. This is on, on the chart, on the org chart of the whole organization. Here's here's where you sit. Here are the people beneath you that you could fuck with and, and the people on top of you who you can't fuck with. And you need to know that on a daily basis. And everybody's got to do their part and stay in their fucking lane. That's the problem in the NBA bogues. You know, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but like on the coaching and in front office side, usually it's the lower level guys. They fucking get out of the box. They don't want to stay in their lane. They're always looking to do someone else's job. They're always looking to move up for the most part. In an in a organization that's successful, everybody's got to do their fucking job and everybody's got to stay in their lane. And now as the owner, you give that power to everybody. Like who who has the power and who doesn't? And I think everybody's got to be on the same page. I don't know what happened there in the last couple of years. I wasn't there and I wasn't in the building. But I think now you have everybody gone. You got to make those decisions going forward and everybody's going to be on the same page. And now you have... A, another chance to start this thing over and the, and the most important part of this thing is they're in good shape roster wise they've got one of the best players in the league they got a generational talent in Luca, who's gonna definitely sign his 200 million dollar extension I don't give a fuck what anybody at ESPN says about oh he might go here he might go there bullshit you think he gives a fuck about getting in a little argument with Bob Or that, you know, somebody got fired or his coach or his GM's not there. Yeah, he might get pissed. He's human nature. You know, he's a human being. I don't speak for Luca. I'm just saying generally. Most NBA players don't give a fuck about that all that much. As long as he doesn't hate the coach or hate the GM, he doesn't really care who the GM or coach is. You know, and and that's a big part of it. And he's going to sign his extension. You know, they're going to hire a coach. They're going to hire a GM. It sucks that they're going through this. You know, I've worked with Donnie and Rick for a long time. Like, those guys were cornerstones of that organization, but they're gone now. And most NBA players, especially superstars, if you give them freedom to do what they need to do on the court, if the organization supports them, if they have a chance to win, and if they get a fat ass fucking paycheck, they're fine. That's mostly what they care about. Now, some care about winning more than others, but those four things are huge factors. They don't care about what kind of weather the city's in. They care about those four factors and like that's in most NBA players. So their roster is good. They're a move away from getting to the conference finals next year. They've got their best player. They've got all their role players intact. Most of those players like each other. They, they're going to roll. They just need to hire a coach and a GM and they can go forward. But this whole thing, yeah, it's a shit show in a sense because, you know, it's a power struggle.
0: And that's exactly what it is. And that's my point. Yeah. Like as soon as you get leaks from within the organization, whether Donnie's right or wrong in his you don't number one, you don't leak, in my opinion. That that's loose loose what is it, loose lips sh- sink ships. I think that's a bad bad thing to do is to go to a, a friendly journalist of yours that you know and leak shit. Just just address it directly. Um, but full disclosure, I'm friends with Bob. I know him. I, I I think he's a great guy. I don't think he's in this for the money, so maybe the power thing, you might be right. I don't think he's in it for the money because he's got more than enough money from people. Bitcoin and, and and investments that he's made over the years with from his from his sports betting but um, I just don't like leaks, period like if I if I'm in an organization like right now at the Sydney Kings for instance and there's someone leaking something I, I treat that worse than making a, a big blunder in anything else because I I feel like you're um, jeopardizing the integrity of what we're building in the, in the organization if we can't have these meetings where we hey we might go back and forth you and I might cuss each other out and almost get to fisticuffs, right? I'd rather that than someone leaking to a newspaper because once you cross that line, like you said, it just causes so many issues. And 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 for those out there, this happens in every NBA franchise from the team trainers, the physios, to the masseuses, to the scouts, to the ball boys. It's like how can I move up and take the guy above me above me that role that they're getting paid a little bit more and they got a better role. How do I how do I kind of. When his back's turned, how do I take his role? And then how do I jump up from assistant GM to GM? That's all it is generally about. The organizations that don't tolerate it, there's probably a few in Miami and San Antonio, they'll get you straight out of there if they if they start feeling all that. And people just don't stay in their lane and that's just the, <coughs> the way it goes. And I'm not saying that's happened in this situation, but it happens a lot out there. And then the repercussions, at the end of the day, everyone's going to end up copping the shit sandwich because now they're, they're basically on clean slate. And that does lead us on to Rick Carlisle, basically, I guess. He's not, a, he's not a dumb man by any means. He's smart. He's very forward-thinking as far as business-wise. And he's coaching. You mean, he's the head of the coaches' union. He's not, he's not, a, not a silly guy. I think he saw some writing on the wall to get the hell out of there. And I have a hunch that he might have had some inklings that there were some jobs we joke around about. Him driving around Brooklyn Arena, waiting for Milwaukee to lose that series so he could take over the Milwaukee job. Well, now we'll talk about Bud a little bit later. But it looks like Bud should hopefully hang on there going into the conference finals. But the Rick Carlisle thing was interesting because we've we've spoken about he hasn't been the most successful coach over the last ten years, bar the championship, which was rumored to be Jason Kidd coaching for the most part. Um, first round exit or worse, the last ten years. There are some job openings. I mean, Indiana's one that comes to mind. Does he make a reunion with Indiana? Milwaukee was the other one. Boston's out there. I don't think he goes to Boston, but he was a former player there. So, um, if you're a smart betting man, he's probably got a a half guarantee from someone, bro.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, him and I are on each other's Christmas list by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, he did a great job there. You know, he won, he helped win a championship. Um, Didn't really have the team that he needed to win playoff games early on. After the championship, you know, no question about it. Like. He had no business winning any of those rounds. He got lucky a little bit in in San Antonio where they push it to game seven. But it wasn't like he was favored in any of those series. So it's tough. Um, Last year, you know, Dwight Powell goes down with the Achilles before the pandemic. And they were rolling. They probably would have been a top four or five seed that year for sure if that didn't happen. Because the way they were playing with him and Porzingis, they played really well together. And then they get, this year, they have the COVID deal where they definitely would have been a top four seed, probably the four seed. And now you're you're talking about game seven in Dallas. Well, in that series, you probably won it in LA considering they never won any home games either in LA until the end, but like they were real close. So, you know, probably the writing was on the wall. I would have said they had a 70% chance of winning their first round next year based on how the team was, you know, put together. I think they probably would, and, and what, what other teams in the league are going to do. I think they could, they'll probably definitely win a playoff series next year. But he, he, probably, he had two years left in his deal. If I had a guess, if, if, and this is only a guess, he didn't care about the whole he might get fired thing next year if he didn't make a playoff deal. He didn't care about that. He's got two years left. They love him in the town. If he if he if he would have done what he's supposed to do, he would get another extension, and he's going forward. And that's what most coaches are thinking about: like, how do I prolong my stay, either here or somewhere else? Now, he could we like if he got fired next year, he would have got any job, like almost any job. He would have got most of the jobs that were out there, and he would have had his pick. So he would have been in the same situation this year. My opinion: he probably asked about his future with the team. It, you know, they probably weren't committing to anything. So. They probably decided to go. And now he wants to align himself with a superstar. Like, look, like, I know he could go back to Indiana or maybe get the Celtics deal, but Milwaukee, and I and you know, he's the head of the Coach Association. He's not gonna politic for the job while someone else has a job. I'm saying if there was gonna be a decision to be made on Bud, He probably wanted to be, he probably thought that he'd have a really good chance. And they, and they coveted him because they tried to get him out of his contract a couple of times when they had coaching openings in his tenure in Dallas. So he probably thought that he would get the job or have a really good chance of getting the job if they made a change. And then the other jobs, like Indiana or some other jobs, he could probably get if he wanted to. But I think that like he probably like, look, if I'm not going to be, if they're not going to like, if I'm not going to be long term there and they can't guarantee that, I might as well get out now. Have a chance for this Milwaukee thing,
0: Portland and Milwaukee, if not Milwaukee, yeah. I can go,
1: yeah, or well, Portland as well. He, you know, he worked in Portland before as an assistant, or you know, in some capacity assistant. I think he might have done some media out there too. So like, there's that, and then he could do Indiana.
0: Orlando's out there too, right? Orlando's out there too, but uh, Boston. I've really heard be. they're
1: going to hire. Yeah, I th- I heard in Boston they're going to hire an African American candidate, a young African American assistant. So a Charles Lee from Milwaukee. Jamal Mosley, Dallas, uh, Chauncey Billups. If uh, I heard Chauncey's gonna get Portland, but if he doesn't, they'll probably cover him there.
0: New Orleans. New Orleans is out there as well.
1: New Orleans is out there as well, but they already had an old school coach. You mm. know, and it didn't work. Yeah, it I don't been. know if they're gonna go two years in a row. Maybe they will. But like Rick's gonna get a job, easy. But I think to me, like he could have waited another year and still got his, you know, whatever was out there. So, like, to me, if I had a guess, You want to align yourself in Milwaukee, give yourself a chance for a coach and a two-time MVP in a team that's built to get to the finals, you know, at least very close to that. And then like, and then you do Indiana. If you want a payday, you go to Washington, you know, because they could probably pay you a shitload of money and you get to coach Westbrook and Beal and and do what you got to do. But I don't think he's going to leave Dallas, which is, in my opinion, the best city in the NBA to live, you know, with with all the great stuff and the organization and the support from fans and things. I don't think he's going to leave Dallas two, with 2 years left to go to Indiana, to go to Washington, maybe to Boston because of his history there, but I think Milwaukee was the play. Maybe even New Orleans because he, at least there's Zion there, but I think Milwaukee's the play if there was going to be a change.
0: If he had 2 years guaranteed, he surely got half promise from someone, right?
1: Yeah, I would think that I would think that he knows information-wise, if there's going to be a change, if Bud lost early in the playoffs, that if there was going to be a change, he was going to be the guy. I would guess. I have no information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's like, the, shit, the other- I
0: mean, you're not turning down two years of guaranteed money. I'm, I'm guessing he was on seven, eight million a year or something like that you know
1: i would think so yeah for sure mm. but he definitely has something else yeah. and like like i said washington would want him you know washington definitely would want him boston if if that if that's not true about the african-american it has to be an african-american that they hire or you know then if he's in play there the owners would pay whatever they whatever he wants to get there mm. you know he's one of the better coaches in the league he had history there the media would love it but I think, from what I've heard, that it might be that they're they're leaning in that direction. Do
0: you think so, I can get an interview for him for the Sydney Kings job? We've got a couple of hundred k floating around, pro. Uh, you,
1: you probably probably need his own airplane. Probably, <laughs> yeah, you probably a lot of things you need to do. You know, you'd have to rename Laundale Ave to you know to his name. There's a lot of things you have to We've do. Got a cro- I, I'm
0: Get a crop duster plane and just furnish a few, you know, whatever the wording is, throw some seeds on some crops.
1: I think you can put your assets in a different direction. I think he's going to (laughs) have a few more zeros in his offer from other teams. Do you think he'd take my quality
0: in the interview, though? That's a real question.
1: Possibly, Bogues. Why not? I'm not his agent. You know, call call whoever's representative. Yeah, for sure. He won't take mine, but he'll take yours.
0: Let's close out Dallas. So, Dirk Nowitzki has been hired to help make decisions upon – you know, around the GM and coach hiring. His title is special advisor to to Mark Cuban. So a good good appointment there, a club legend. We knew he was going to be involved with the Mavs at some capacity. So he's going to be involved there. The other one is, do the Mavs promote... Um, a highly touted assistant, Jamal Mosley. Now, I I know Jamal Mosley. He played for the Victoria Titans back in the day here when I was a young fella. And um, I was obviously with Dallas when he was there. He's now the assistant coach also with the Australian Boomers national team. So he's a big candidate to get a head coaching job soon in the NBA. Do you think he has a a real chance to maybe take that reign in Dallas?
1: Oh, I think so too. I I definitely think so. Just because A, he's going to be a head coach somewhere. Like, someone's going to hire him. He's very highly respected around the league as an assistant. You know, he's definitely on the, on, the, on the fast track to being a head coach. The question is, how much pressure is there to win next year in the playoffs? And if it's like, hey, look, you know, if, if Luke is like, if he says, hey, I don't care if we win the playoffs or not. I like this team. I like the city. We're good to go, whatever. Then Mo should be your coach. If there, if you need that
0: more experience, and reportedly close of winning, to Luca. reportedly very close to Luca.
1: Yeah, he's like the closest guy to Luca on that staff and in, in that organization. So I think that like that's a huge factor. But if there is pressure, because Luca's not that type. Like Luca's not a superstar like most superstars in the NBA that like forced like you know forced the organization to hire security trainers. Coach and staff, like he doesn't have his boys in the staff. He he doesn't do any of that. So he doesn't really care the way he does care, but he doesn't care. So it's not like if you don't hire Jamal, he's going to leave. I think they need to win. And look, Jamal's going to be a coach. Like all these guys say, oh, he's not ready to be a head coach yet. Well, how does all these other fucking coaches? How do you think they became head coaches? Somebody just finally said, fuck, he's you know he might not be ready right now, but he's close. And yeah, he needs a couple of years under his belt, but he's going to be fine. I think Jamal will be fine, but I think that uh, I think three names would be for this job, and maybe more. But I, I that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Jamal, I'm thinking Jason Kidd, and I'm thinking Terry Stotts. And uh, Terry Stotts is probably the most established guy in the list. People love him in Dallas. The organization loves him. Did a great he job was there as an assistant
0: during the championship year, hey, correct?
1: Yeah. Yep. He's, done, yep. he's done a great job as a head coach. Players love him. And I think he'd be really good there. But if 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 you you know if there's no pressure to do it, and you have this young coach that you could develop into a championship level coach, why not hire him? And and why not just not go through this stuff? I think the relationship with Luca is going to be huge, and I think that you know that that'll be steady. But I think that if I had a guess, it'll be a more experienced coach that gets the job. If I had a gamble on it. But I think Jamal should get the job just because he's there. You know, he's been there so long, and you know, look, he's going to get a job somewhere, and he has the pieces. See, most assistants got to take a fucked up job. You know, like Rebuild, in yeah. it, in those rebuilds, we talked about that. That's They'll a kill you. that's yeah. almost a suicide mission. <laughs>
0: yeah, like yeah. Orlando. So right now,
1: man.
0: yeah, yeah,
1: like I said, coaching is irrelevant for the most part in the NBA. If you have talent and the guy at least isn't gonna like have mutiny on his hands, like in Indiana, like if if that's not gonna happen, like anybody could coach these teams that are on staffs. As long as they're not fucking idiots, they're not assholes, and they know what they're doing, now you've got talent. You got an MVP candidate and you got all these great people that that play there and work there. I would just say fuck it. Let's roll the dice with the guy. If you have to hire a more experienced staff under him so he could just sort of, you know, like help him. But I think Jamal is going to be a fine coach. I I would hire him. But my guess is they'll go a little more experience and they'll go with the Terry Stotts, um, unless Lucas says, "Hey, this is what." Now I, I guarantee Jason Kidd will be mentioned and go deep. You know, and it's, well, well, I mean, he coached so him it. to a
0: he coached him to a finals win ten years ago, bro. So he might get that job. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on real quick. So. Uh, Scott Brooks got got canned as well that was no surprise we won't get too far into that but he has been fired the one we got we, we, we called Scott Brooks as well but the Stan Van Gundy one we you know I caught wind of that before anyone was even talking about it he's gone Tensions were brewing for a long time in that locker room. I could see, I think Stevie Wonder could see it wasn't a good fit with a young group. I mean, they didn't have enough veterans in that locker room and enough, enough of those kind of level-headed guys to balance out a crazy coach like Stan. The comments were, the former Pelicans coach who prioritized player freedom, offense and rest, which was Gentry, was a 180 degree difference from the style Van Gundy arrived with. And those differences are largely why Van Gundy was a logical choice to replace Gentry. So it made sense at the time. But it wasn't a pick made without obvious risks, and that was clearly one of them. If things went sideways, how would these young Pelicans react to a gruff business-like coach who publicly demands accountability? Oh, they haven't reacted well, so he's gone. I am hearing that Zion is the GM of that team, or close to, a lot of pool pro. um, Also hearing that some people within his inner circle, some family members, are also making very, very big demands on the franchise already. So we saw what happened with Anthony Davis, and he left. We know New Orleans don't want 2.0 of that. We know that Zion, you know, teams will already be setting up a two or three year run for Zion, or even if he signs an extension a la Luca, they can try to get him out two or three years later. Um it looks like a messy situation in New Orleans especially you know like you said Luka's not that guy with Dallas well we're hearing that Zion is that guy in New Orleans
1: look everybody is sort of everybody has to take a step back from your best player your best player calls a lot of shots in your organization e- either actually calling on the shot or just like the pressure of keeping him you know you, you want to try to put him in best position to win um they have all the cards right now because you know they like like he's a restricted free agent when he's done with his contract they'll sign him to his extension now he'll probably try to opt out or, or force his way out if he doesn't like it there but now you've got you've got legitimately 3 years unless he just starts doing an Anthony Davis he sits out of games and things but you legitimately have about two years to really get this thing going. You got a ton of picks in the Anthony Davis trade. Um, you've got okay, you've got, you know, you got Brandon Ingram signed long term, and he's, you know, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the better younger players in the league. You got Steven Adams who's solid. You got to get spacing, you gotta get talent, you gotta continue to bring in talent for this kid. I wouldn't just succumb to him right now and say, oh, we got to get rid of him because he doesn't want to stay. Look, they change their mind very easily and they they need you need to just continue to try to put weapons around him to win. The way the team's constructed, you know, it's not perfect. They don't have shooting around the kid. You know, the kid also needs to make some improvements which he's had in some in some instances of his game, but he's not a finished product either. So he's not single-handedly winning games. He's single-handedly putting up 27 and 7, but he's not really has impact on winning yet. You know, so he needs he needs to get better. They need to get better, but they just got to continue to do their job in the front office. Continue to put weapons around him. Get a coach that's gonna you know get along with him. Get a coach, you know, get a coach that he's gonna relate to, and then go forward with. That's the problem now, because now if you're gonna hire one of these assistants that may or may not know what they're doing, that team's not built to win right now. Like go deep in the playoffs or anything. But you want a coach that's going to really get along with Zion. But you, know, you might want to go younger. You might, want to, you, know, you might want to get a different type of pool of candidate. But you got a lot of pressure to perform and win. So, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy deal for sure. I wouldn't get rid of him. I wouldn't like, I wouldn't like press the panic button right now. But you oh, got to do your job, spot. bring in talent.
0: It's such a tough spot yeah. for a New Orleans in a small market. We talk about it all the time. I think the, pl- the, the player power has shifted too much towards player power. And when you can now, as a star player, dictate every move an organization makes and then still potentially leave and the team's left holding a bag of bad contracts that you wanted because we thought if we signed these guys or this coach or this GM because you demanded it, that you're going to leave and then it doesn't work out and you still don't win games and you leave anyway, you're Cleveland 2.0, right? You're you're stuck with a bunch of bad contracts and you're in a full rebuild that's going to take – Two or three years longer than it should, and I'm kind of seeing that with New Orleans right now. I think that they're in that that tough position of, like you said, are they gonna? Are you, if you give up to one demand of a star player, you're gonna eventually give them the the keys to the, to the house, right? Yeah. On the flip side, if you say no to everything, they're gonna leave and then say that organization is terrible for stars. They didn't treat me right. I think it's a lose lose situation for these small markets, man. I really do, and you, you feel bad for them. That's why I respect what Giannis did so much staying on there and signing that extension when he could have went to a bigger and better, brighter lights. He stayed in a smaller organization and now they're in a conference finals. But I'm not getting a good feel. Um, Don't get me wrong. I think Stan Van Gundy was a horrible hiring by them. I I, I don't get that one. I never got it. The day day it was announced, I was scratching my head. I'm like, this is not going to work and it didn't. So I pat myself on the back for that. But I think you just got to be so careful um, with how you handle that, and like you said, there's no right way or wrong way these days. Because if if things go bad, the player's going to leave regardless. So you to just um, try. And your that's best. the thing.
1: Yeah. Hey, look. I'm de- yeah. You gotta look. You can't be an asshole to the player. You got to communicate with them. You got to talk to them. Don't lie to them. Most of these fucking teams lie to their player anyway, and 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 do this. Oh, you're going to be in on it. You no, know, just say, look. We're going to talk to you about it for sure, but that GM, that owner, whatever whoever is calling the shot, they have to do what's best for the organization. Say, look, we're not going to shut you out of this thing, but we're going to do our best to put the best players around you, best coach around you, best medical team around you to keep you healthy and go forward with this thing. But I can't have you dictate what we are going to do because I'll be honest, we don't know if you want to stay here long term. So... You're going to demand this player, that player, this player. And if it doesn't work and you're gone, we're holding the bag. We'll, well, look, let us do our job. We'll give you everything that you need to be successful. And at the end, if you feel as though you need to leave, we'll do that. But let us do our job. That's why these teams like Cleveland who gave in, you know, and some of these people who gave in to these agents and these players, I get what you need to do. But at the end of the day, as a GM, when you get fired from this, you got to explain what the fuck you did to the next guy that you're trying to get a job with. So you might as well go out on your own terms. Not be an asshole to the player, though. There's a way to do it without being an asshole to the player. Be honest with the player. Say, look, you know, you can't micromanage what we're going to do. We're not going to micromanage what you do. We're going to put the best weapons around. Let us do our job. And I guarantee you. We're gonna do the best we can. And like we'll come back to this. And if you feel as though it's not, it's not right, we'll move you. Believe me, they'll get a shitload of assets back for Zion if that's the case. But these teams who just give in to these players. That's why I love the Miami Heat when those guys tried to get Spolster fired and Pat Riley was like, fuck off. You're I'm the you know, he's the coach. I run this team, you guys don't. That's the way you got well, maybe not in that light. That's Pat fucking Riley. But, like, you got to do that. You got to have balls and say, you know what? Not today. We're yeah, not doing line. this shit. It because- just needs to
0: be balanced. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I think it's gone. Yeah. At one point, it was too far organizational power. Now it's players. I think it's just gone too far that way where you can, as a player, no man- doubt. manipulate things and that's just where the league is. But um we'll move on to the Celtics. So an unusual time pro for a trade to go down. You don't usually see them at this time of the year. The Celtics traded Kemba Walker, 2023 second round pick, and Moses Brown for Al Horford, 16th pick in the 2021 draft, 2025 second round draft pick. Pretty good salary shared by the Celtics. They've been, you know, trying to save a little bit of money. I think it adds up to saving around 10 a year. Um, on the differences between Kemba and Horford, and they know Horford's a, a consummate pro. Whether he plays a lot or not for the Celtics, who knows, but a, a valuable guy to have in that locker room as far as a, a professional and a veteran. And, um, you know, look, OKC with a young rebuilding team, they get a, a guy that if he can refine that form in Charlotte, they could all of a sudden be scratching a playoff spot, you know, a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seed with a playing game.
1: Yeah, I mean, for Boston, look, For one reason or another, it didn't work with Kemba and it's a lot of money and they're trying to get to a max slot as quickly as they can. This trade because of, you know, the the difference in salary this year, and then also with, you know, the partial guarantee um, in future years of the deal. I think it's partially guaranteed on the last year or it's just less money, I forgot, but it allows them to open up a max spot. Now, the problem is when you sign the wrong guy, Well, when it doesn't work out and you sign them for that much money, you're going to have to end up paying to get off of it. And you pay with your first round pick this year. But you get that max spot. You got Brown and Tatum. You've got your guy, you know, you got Marcus Smart. You got, you got, you know, you got Williams on the team. You got some guys going forward that are fine. But now you have to pay for a draft pick, you know, one of your picks to get off this deal. For Oklahoma City, Look, they just need to get to that salary threshold. They can continue to trade these bad contracts can, you know they got horford first, they got off Hor- you know they got picks for that, then they get off horford they get uh they got you know Kemba, and then they get the pick that's all they're doing. They just want to acquire picks, acquire picks. they just want to get to the, the salary threshold. They could use Kemba a little bit you know obviously they, they're going to put everything in Alexander and they're going to put everything in, in uh uh, Alexi Pokovzevsky, yeah, good try trying to fucking pronounce that name. <laughs> so they're trying to uh, they're just trying to get picks, and what they've been doing that's great is they keep acquiring these players that you think that untradeable, like Chris Paul, like you know, like Al Horford, and they keep moving them, and they get more. So not only did they get picks for Al to acquire them, then they ship them out, and they get more picks for they get picks a uh, pick for them. I've never seen anything like it. It's unbelievable. So it's, it's you know, that's what they're doing. They're just acquiring all these picks. They got, uh, uh, you know, Shea Gilgars Alexander they're trying to develop. He was doing a hell of a job. And they got the, the foreign kid, Alexi. And, you know, that's what they're trying to do. And for the Celtics, you know, look, it's less firepower now. They don't have Kemba in the lineup. That's 19 points a game out the door. Al Horford's going to be used to just a little bit. He's having very little impact in the game. They got Moses Brown now, which they got Williams and, you know, as their starting center. Now they got sort of the same type of player, Moses Brown, uh, you know, playing. So they don't get a lot in this deal. And then Oklahoma City gets a first-round pick. But it opens up a max slot in a couple of years. So it's one of those deals that there's really not much getting done here. It saves a little money for Boston. Gives them, He gives Oklahoma City a pick and to see if they could move Kemba in a later date for something else. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah, Al Horford's 35. I don't think he gives them a lot on court, but I think he, he could be, if he has half his form back, he could help on that roster for 20 minutes a night with Tatum and, and Brown. So we'll see how that goes, but mainly a, mainly a salary relief for Boston and then acquiring picks for OKC is how we both see that one. LeBron has come out and killed the schedule pro. Shocker. The Lakers aren't shocker aren't playing right now, so something must be wrong. Comments. They all didn't want to listen to me about the start of the season. I knew exactly what would happen. I only wanted to protect the well-being of the players, which ultimately is the product and benefit of our game. These injuries isn't just part of the game. It's the lack of pure rim tech you heard that correctly RIM as in a basketball RIM rim, test test. it's actually called REM REM sleep um you know, rapid eye movement anyway. Um, starting back up, eight, possibly nine All-Stars has missed playoff games, mostly in league history. This is the best time of year for our league and our fans missing a ton of our favorite players. It's insane. If there's one person that know about the body and how it works all year round, it's me. I speak for the health of all our players and I hate to see this many injuries this time of year. Sorry, fans. Wish you guys were all seeing your favorite guys right now. Um, he has a point about the injuries, To an extent, look, there are a lot of injuries, but the players' union voted for this um, at the end of the day. This is all has to be approved by the players' union. And I assume this is going to be similar to the lockout year when we had those those nights where there were three games in a row instead of back-to-backs. It was triple headers with travel. That was also agreed upon by players because they said, hey, if you play 71 games, you get 85% of your contract. If you play 60, you get 60%. So what do you think the players voted for? This is very, very similar. So I think he's crying over spilt milk a little bit because he's not involved. Mike Bass from the NBA has given a statement saying injury rates were virtually the same this season as they were in the 1920 while starter level and all-star players missed games due to injury at similar rates as the last three seasons while injuries are an uncomfortable reality of our game we recognize the enormous enormous sacrifices NBA players and teams have to make to play through this pandemic so what do you think about LeBron just smil- spilt milk pro?
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I-, I didn't hear him crying about it I didn't hear him complaining about it all that much throughout the year I, Yeah, he did a little maybe but look, he's got all this power. He's the most, po- mo- might be the most influential athlete of all time, of all time, just because of social media presence and all that stuff. Like, and, and then people in the league, why not? If they didn't like it, first of all, why'd you do it? Why'd you agree to it? We know why you agreed to do it because it's the money. It's a money train. Everybody gets paid. They had, they had the Olympics they're playing against. So they're trying to finish before the Olympics. And then also they're trying to stop the next season on time to get this season back on swing. And that's what they needed to do. But if he really felt as though that this needed to happen, I would have sat out until you until you came to my demands. I would have sat out. And I would have I told players to sit out if that was the case. Like, exactly. And he has that this much power. Happen. If he really f- – you know what I'm saying? And that's not going to happen. Let's be honest. Everybody needs to get paid. Everybody needs to get paid. And again, the teams are the ones that's, that's, that's getting their fucking brains beat in. Because the player, there's no risk. You get your money, and you get your money. Whatever money you get, you get. And you can With rest. Teams,
0: you can rest during the regular and season. And you could rest. Mm.
1: You rest during the regular season. You, you've got you you know, got all this stuff. And most of these guys who got hurt, either freakish injury like a Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis got hurt. Well, he he's always hurt. Kawhi, always hurt anyway. He's, he's got an in injury history. Oh, and B, injury history. So, yes, I agree. The schedule fucked him up a little bit. But... A, if you really felt as though it was that important, health over money, you wouldn't have agreed and you would have done, you would have played less games and, or, or, or said, or said, we're not doing the Olympics this year and played through the Olympics, you know, just, but there's just too much money at
0: stake. 100%. Yeah. And it's, it comes down to, you know, there's there's so many different perspectives as well when players are voting for this. So it could be a, a player in the last year of their their career, they're like, oh, "I'm going to play one more year and I retire. I'll play h- however many games at all costs." Then you got second round picks who are making not much money. Are like, "Should I need to play those eighty games? I'll play whatever I need to play." So generally, ninety nine point nine 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 times out of a million, out of a sorry, out of a hundred, or you know whatever the number is, I'm not great at math, but you're gonna have players. Always take, I oh, will play more games to get more money. They're never going to take less money to play less games. If the NBA would have said, hey, all of these experts we've, we've hired some health experts, some sleep experts, some f- physiotherapists, they've all said a good number for this season is 42 games. You guys will be perfectly healthy and won't have any injuries, but you lose 50% of your contract. No fucking chance. Like, let's call a spade a spade. I probably wouldn't vote for that, right? You know, like so you can get every expert in the world trying to help your, it comes down to money. And that's, that, that's all it was at the end of the day. So, I think LeBron, his team's not there as well. I think that plays a part. By the way, did you see, you would have seen Brooklyn fans counting during Giannis's free throws? I saw that. I saw well, that. The week that's, before, that's good stuff. What, what I forgot to mention on the pod, the week before, the Brooklyn Arena actually had a countdown on the scoreboard, right? So, they, <laughs> once Giannis caught the ball, there was a counter going from 10, 10. And the league actually stepped in and said they're not allowed to do it. Which was, I, th- I found oh, that wow. very, I found that very interesting why they would, it's not really against the rules, but the final funnier- To be honest, they
1: should do it. They should do it. They should do it every game. Like for every, every time. That, that'd be pretty cool to have.
0: Hilarious. Yeah. But the, the league said you can't, you can't run that on the, on the league, you know, like equipment uh, scoreboard or whatever. Yeah. Huh. So that's why I thought Brooklyn fans actually counting it was the ultimate troll because it was like, fuck you, we're still going to do it. You can't stop the fan. You can't, you can't get 20,000 fans and be like, hey, guys, <laughs> they're going to find us. You can't count when Giannis is counting because he, he does toe the line on the time frame. He gets to 11 seconds sometimes, but the, it's a ballsy referee to call it, i tell you that. Yeah, no doubt about it. No, so, no doubt so that about was it. That's an interesting observation with that one. Have you seen the latest on NBA's competition community? Uh, meeting about rule changes. So the league wants to limit the ability of players, names that were mentioned, crafty stars like James Harden, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, to lean backward and sideways, for example, to initiate contact to get to the free throw line. The NBA has shared a video compilation of player examples with 30 teams that outlines a number of motions deemed unnatural that were used to draw fouls. The NBA and the competition community will drill down on specific plays of the league's GMs next week to target examples that will recommend owners to vote to eliminate next season, Sources said. I think it's a good thing. I think this rule is needed. I hate – look, there's playing for fouls, but you know the rip-through to me is an interesting one. So if I'm in my – if I'm in a legal guarding position, but I'm in my space, even with my hand out, right, if someone swings through to actually hit my arm, I, I disagree with that being a foul on the defender because I'm in my space, however I want to stand – if I'm in that space first with my arms out, so be it. If you're reaching, that's a whole different story. But I hate the rip-through where you're initiating the contact to hit someone's arm. I don't think it should be a foul. I really don't. I think, you know, it's just – it slows the game down. It becomes real theatrical where it's just – I don't blame the players, first and foremost. It's just the rules of the game. The NBA needs to change this, in my opinion. I hate it. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, I, I hate it too. It just slows the game down. It's, you know, what's it like – at some point, you got to give the de- defender some chance to react to this stuff. And, you know, when you're, when you're initiating, I don't mind initiating contact to get to a free throw line on a drive or something. But the three-point thing is very, you know, I mean, look, it, I understand that the player is smart by trying to do it, the offensive player. But, like, it sort of takes some of the fun out of the game, you know what I'm saying? When yeah. they're trying to force that foul and they call it, I agree that's why I like the competition committee they're always trying to you know change things up and try to make the game a little bit better and i think i agree with this i think that it should be something that's done
0: well you know in FIBA pro the the leg if you kick your leg out and kick a defender it can be called a flagrant on the on the guy that kicked the actual shooter, it can be called an intentional I foul. I love that. Yeah, and I think that's great. Like We—I didn't even know it was a rule, right? So, um, Patty Mills did it in um, 2019, in the World Cup. He got a warning for it, and I was like, "What the hell are they warning you for?" And he said, "Leg kick." And I was like, "Wow, that's actually good." And, and we played against a team that had—I think it was Dominican Republic, maybe—but there was a team that had a few notorious floppers that were doing it. They actually—they teed a guy up for it. They gave him an intentional foul. Like it cut it out straight away. They stopped doing it. And I think you just hate to see it. Uh, and it's not the player's fault. It's the rules of the game. I think change it. I think the other one that I hate is if a guy's backing you down and you've got an armbar on him and then he just rip like quickly turns and just rips yeah. through that armbar. It's just like, oh I mean, it's just it's just a tough, it's a tough watch for me because it becomes theatrics. The more, you know, they did studies many years ago with the Hacker Shack stuff that when it you know there was that game where Dwight Howard shot, I think it was Mark Jackson actually that did it, Golden State Warriors it was shot 48 or 53 throws one game, and they 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 noticed a trend in Viewers changing the channel, like just stop watching the game because they were like, "Fuck this!" Like I'm not watching this shit. I'm watching Dwight Howard shoot 24 free throws in a half. So I think they need to be across that and keep the game flowing. And I like that from the competition committee. Another one, um, I don't know if you saw, but Jokic after his great season has pulled out of national team duties for the Serbian national team in their Olympic campaign. Now I don't know if you know much about the Balkans Pro, but they um they will they they would be killing him right now, MVP or not. They would be they would be pulling the whole Oh, you think you're MVP now? You're too good for our country. Fuck you! Like so, the Serbians are passionate about playing for the national team. Unless you're, you know, basically in a car accident type injury, you're expected to play. So, I I am guessing that Serbia might be out of the question for a holiday destination for Jokic in the next the next couple of months.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, some of those nations really take their national team very, very serious, and you know, and and that they they live and die by it, right? And. You know,
0: he probably saying, saying, look, I, I need a rest and, you know. Which he and, does. He yeah, does. I, I think he does yeah. need a rest. He's had a great yeah, and, year. But, man, it's, they're, they're some passionate fans. I've, I've had um, friends of mine that played for Croatian-Serbian national teams that for whatever reason didn't play in an off-season and got that, that people spat on them when they were out and about in cafes and restaurants. So, if, if they were in that country at the time and the team was – you know, at an Olympics, they're kinda of like, Why aren't you at the Olympics, dude? Like, oh, because you're in the NBA and you're making you know, fifty million dollars and yeah. I've had I've had people that were literally spat on and, and like so they were like, if I don't play a national team, I'm not going home for the for that year. <laughs> like it's it's a whole different world yeah. over there. It
1: I I agree. Like I mean I, I understand it. I understand especially in you know European countries and you know the international like look, there's a lot of pride in the United States playing for your team and all that. I get it. Most of those guys, obviously, those guys are NBA players. So some of them can say no. They got all that money, and I don't think many fans will care if they play or not. To be honest with you, because they just want to win, and you got so many NBA players they that, that could choose from that you're most likely you're going to win or do very well in the, in, in the Olympics if you have a top five players playing, or you, you have most of them in the top twenty. You know, um, but for these other countries. They take it a lot more serious. It's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more pride in, in playing for your team. And I don't know, it's a little bit different. So the, I think the players have a different attitude towards it. Most want to play. I mean, I think most, to tell you the truth, I think in, in, in some eras, some, some international players would rather win a gold medal or a World Cup than win an NBA championship and play for an NBA team. I really do believe that. And some of the international players that play in the game, they have more pride to you know play for their country and and in international competition, than actually win an NBA championship. Yeah, but I think it's changed now. But yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. I I wouldn't be going back if I was him. But he's got his brother. His oh, yeah, brother could yeah, definitely man, protect and, and him. That
0: that clip of his brothers, and they are they are the real deal. That's not that's not acting. For those that didn't see the clip, you can go on YouTube. His brothers when Jokic hard fouled the campaign and. Um, Devin Booker and that all got into it. He, uh, their brothers were yelling in Serbian, which I can't repeat on air. Well, actually, I could, considering you swear all the time. But they, are, they are the real deal. They will, they will go to war. He's one of his older brothers played in the Serbian league. Was notorious for starting fights. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a, an interesting one. He, he's, he would be the f- you know the main guy for their national team. But they still have a very very strong squad. Serbia. They always churn out really good competitive teams. Um, and I think a lot of guys do play for their national team in those European countries because they're scared not to play, <laughs> if that makes sense. There is the pride factor of winning a medal for your country, but there's also like, I want to be able to like go, in, go back to my home country in the off season without being abused and taunted. One other bit of international news pro, which is great for the NBL, the, the CBA, the Chinese league, Chinese basketball league, there's rumors that the next season will likely be played without foreign players, according to local journalist Jaya Lee the decision of CBA shareholders has been submitted to the General Administration of Sports for approval. So no, no international, no foreigners basically is a great sign for other leagues in the world. So I'm excited by that for the NBL, bro.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just more players in your player pool that, that you can get and at a cheaper you know, rate. I mean it's a lot.
0: Because China usually inflates those prices, man. They get they're paying you guys three, four, five million. Like We've got no chance and now they might come back down to Earth and come play in the NBL.
1: Yeah, play for a few hundred grand. No, I think it, I think I think it's great. I'm wondering what, what the reasoning was. Was it a political thing? Or, or was it money? Was it
0: COVID? Uh, I wonder what China, the sort of with China. Um the yeah. president prime minister. Probably woke up one day and didn't have fun with his wife the night before and just probably put a rule on the CBA. You know, that's how shit works over there. Like there's no rhyme or reason to how they do things. Um, but yeah, there's, it's just an interesting random random thing to do at this point. Um, maybe COVID related, but from what I hear from friends that played in China, China's pretty much has been back to normal for the good part of, of 12 months. Um, although we get reports in the media to the contrary, some people I know that live over there have said, like, we don't, the coronavirus doesn't exist over here anymore. So we'll watch that space. NBL's in its grand final series pro. Uh, we have Melbourne United play tonight at the time of recording. They play in about three hours. They're currently up 1 0 against the Perth Wildcats. The series had to move to, the, it was a five game series. Melbourne United had home court advantage. It's usually done 1 1 1 1 1. The problem being Melbourne or the state of Victoria was in lockdown, so Perth actually got home court. They decided to do the first two games in Perth, last three in Melbourne, which strategically has worked out well because now Victoria is going to open up in a couple of days to be able to play sports again. United are up one zero. I do not think Perth win a game pro. They, they have been absolutely smacked with injuries. They um, Rice Cotton's obviously out for the series, but they still had a chance to battle, and they've lost a few more players along the way, a few of their scoring players. Um, but credit to them, they they lost by three game one. I didn't think they'd be, you know, in the series at all. And they've, they're one of those grinded-out battle San Antonio-type teams of, of the NBL that always just find a way. But um, I think this is going to be a 3-0 sweep, Pro, He's going to bring it home. He'll probably be the – like he's playing – you know, like the MVP of that team the last couple of games. I mean, they start and end with him. When he when he plays well, they win. But even look, to be honest, you could remove Lawndale right, right now or Landale, and I still think they have a chance to win that series. I think Perth is just so depleted. They they just don't have you know, they just don't have enough enough cattle to 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 compete. If if they if they even manage to get I picked them to lose three one, I think pick United three one and now I've changed it to three zero because they're one of their other scorers, Clint Steindl, got hurt. But if they get a game, I think that's that's phenomenal for them. So um, one final thing out of Perth or Western Australia, an absolutely dismal government decision the under 16 Nationals Pro, um, that's kind of the best tournament for that age group in Australia I think AAU, so in Australia we have, you play for your local team if you're really good for that local team, you then play and represent that local area against other local areas in your state then if you're really good there, you'd represent your whole state at a national championships against other states, so The national championships for under 16s was in Western Australia. Um, There were some issues because there's a lockdown in Victoria now, so other states close their borders here in Australia because the politicians are just on crack cocaine on a daily basis. I assume. Don't know what the hell they're doing, but they just they'll close borders if there's one case in a different state. Anyway, this team has fundraised money. They found a suitable hotel to quarantine in. Upon arrival, they have to quarantine for 14 days, so they found kind of like a motel setup where they booked out the whole motel. Um they'd be the only team the only people staying there would be their team they fundraise they were behind in fundraising, but they they ended up getting to raise it. I think Delawarevadova contributed a few other guys contributed um and then uh, literally a day before the government said actually we're not we're not granting your permit anymore. we're not letting you come over because the facility you're booking into has shared bathroom facilities not everyone has their own bathroom. But it's a, it's the same group of people that are staying there, so it makes no difference. But anyhow, they said we'll allow you to come in, but you have to go to a proper hotel quarantine facility, so like a Marriott or a Hilton. That you said that would have cost them another two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a dream, you know, for, for young kids. So basically, they they had to pull the pull the plug. So there's a national championship going on without the state of Victoria, which historically Victoria's, you know the top three um, states at every tournament, and these poor kids now are just you know just being pulled out on the last minute because of government bureaucracy pro and we're seeing it more and more over here in australia like we shut down at one or two cases and the people like adults is one thing junior sports local sports they're just getting pushed and pulled all over the place they're closing schools every other week then opening them back up and a lot of kids at least that i that i know from family members nephews cousins nieces um they're struggling mentally from a pro and it's it's just hard to talk about it cuz I'm I'm highly disappointed you know our government whether over there in the states it's republican and democrat over here it's liberal and labor i i think they're all they're all useless to me i mean they, they, we need to start to you know really try to protect our kids mental health
1: yeah i mean it's unfortunate man i mean you know with these kids and what they're going through and all this stuff man it's just it's just tough it's it's tough on the kids and you got to think about it like as adults. It's hard enough to deal with it when you're an adult. Imagine when you're a kid. You know, dealing with this, you don't have the maturity and, and the experience in life to deal with adversity like this. It's a, it's a tough deal, man, on, on all levels. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's unfortunate, man. Does kid sport
0: open up up there in Dallas.
1: Yeah, there's AU tournaments going on all the time. But
0: everything's full full blown now. There, everything's
1: Texas open. Yeah, school. People there. are still wearing masks a little bit. Yeah, but teams tournaments. You know, there's a lot of tur- AE tournaments in the town. There's a lot of, like, national stuff that's already been done in the last couple of months, uh, last month or so. So, yeah, they're, they're fully opened up for the most part.
0: Yeah, we're not here. We're we're kinda, you know, like I said, two or three cases spring up and they shut a state. And look, I understand that there's issues with the virus still and my my whole thing is how long can you live like this and 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 the mental health of kids and their well-being, even adults to an extent, not being able to work and whatnot, but um it's more the hypocrisy of some of the rules that just don't make sense. You know, that you can have full stadium sure. full stadiums one day and then the next day you can't, and then some businesses can open if they're backed by a union and then some can't. So that's where the frustration lies for the everyday people, I believe. And we're starting to see a bit more people speak out against it and hopefully, you know, the problem is there's election time for most states around around this virus stuff and they're, um, you know, they can sell a lot of people that they're protecting them from life or death um, at times where, you know, certain things like wearing a mask outside when you're by yourself walking around a park with no one in near sight of you, you know, not, not the... Not, not just doesn't make sense to me. Um, indoor area crowded. I get it, but then when you start implementing that for, for other things, but story for another day. Pro, good to see Texas has got over it because we haven't. A bit jealous. <laughs> well,
1: hey, anytime you want to come by, we got we got an extra bedroom upstairs. We bro. can't get so out come, of the country, mate. Our-
0: That's the other problem. We're not allowed to leave. We have to. We have to get a permit from our government to even leave the country, and they can deny it, which they're they're doing a lot. And then to come back, we have to quarantine for fourteen days still. So I'm staying my ass. You got to
1: get one of those. Ch- You got to get one of those drug cartel submarines and just go in and just (laughs) escape.
0: Oh, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like I'm not leaving the country. I'm I'm supposed to go to Utah, got elected to be in the hall of fame for the university of Utah and the inductions in September. I I don't think I can get there. I I don't think I can get out of the, Get out of the uh, the country, mate. So no good story for another uh, day. Anyway, useful or useful, useful or useless stats, pro. We have uh, a few doozies here. Start on a lighter note, in Kevin Durant's game six, I believe, or well, game five, sorry. Um, Kevin Durant is the first player in NBA postseason history with forty five points, fifteen rebounds, and ten assists in a game, per ESPN stats and info. Good one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good one. It's a fucking pretty, you know. If he's the only player to do it, legit, mu- he put legit stats up, and it's not just some fucking, you know, random thing. Yeah, I think that's definitely legit. What do
0: you think? So I think it's a. Tri- they mean a triple double with probably forty five points. I'm guessing is what what it what it means. But yeah, I mean the dudes. Like I said many pods ago, there was a couple of times in when I was in Golden State where he just felt like playing point guard, um, didn't want to score some nights, and just tried to get triple doubles and was kind of half-coasting and still did it with ease. And you're just like, man, this guy is just, just so talented, can go at half speed during a regular season game in Memphis and still dominate the game. So um, very impressive. The next one, Ben Simmons, is just 22 for 67. 32.8% from the line this postseason. That's on pace to be the second worst in single postseason NBA history, minimum of 53 throw attempts. The worst non-center has shot from the line in a postseason is by my guy Andre Iguodala, 41.5% for the 2015 Golden State Warriors. Useful?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's useful. I think it's useful to you know for me if I was working with the kid, it would be definitely useful to show him and say, look, this is this is some real shit. And especially in the playoff time. This is this is coming up. I think it's useful. What do you think? Well, I think,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's an elephant in the room we spoke about earlier. Teams can manipulate it and, and hack him. And I think, like I said, if you can just go one for two and then every now and then go two for two, they'll stop doing it. But if you if you go to the line when they're doing it and you're 0 for 2 and you look like you don't want to be there, even if he's not, not so much from the free throw point of view, if it then stymies his aggressiveness. That's where the ultimate chess move is made by some of these coaches. Is like, you know, we're going to stop you from being aggressive in open floor transition because we're just going to foul you. Um, and then that—that—that's a whole other layer of of why you got to knock them down. The last one. Now, Jalen Brown had some analytics for us, pro. Seven NBA teams. Oh, nice. Remaining four are led by African American coaches.
1: It's a hell of a uh, it's a hell of an observation, man. I, I don't know. I don't know what from you know what NASA person NASA scientist he got this information from, but yeah, yeah <laughs> he's very he's very observant. Um, I, I think it's completely useless. I think that there are a lot of good coaches in this league: black, white, Latino, you know, Asian American. Look, there's a lot of good human coaches. beings. Yeah, and how I, about
0: human beings? Human beings. beings. Yeah, just, I mean, I'm, uh, Yeah, I'm, we because
1: we don't want to go down that road. We don't want to go down that road. Like we don't want to go down the road of well, black coaches are better than white coaches it's just, it's just, it's a non-starter for me. When I saw it at first, I was like, what the, and then I was like, you know what, non-starter for me. Cause it's, you never want to, it's just, you never want to go down that road of like, who's more valuable and why it's so stupid. It's, look, it's, you know, there are a lot of good coaches in this league and, you know, Monty Williams and Doc Rivers and um, Nate McMillan, Ty Lue. Yeah. I mean, look, they're good coaches in the league. You know, that's great. But like, once you start saying stuff like that, and then you start it's a very I just don't want to go down the road. I think it's a useless stat. You know, I know what he's trying to do. I get it. Look, the league's doing the best he can to to sort of, you know, to try to, you know, to push as many different people as possible into these head coaching and positions and these GM positions. But by you just saying that, it's a to me it it just riles people up. It gets people like you don't even you're just poking the bear there on both sides of this thing. It's just yeah, to me, it's useless, folks.
0: What do you think? Well, I'm so I'm so old school and primitive and a hick or a yobbo that when I interview someone for any of my job roles, I don't look at their appearance, what they have between their legs or what color their skin is. Now, call me a bigot pro. I'm, I, apo- I apologize for it, but I generally will look at how they can help either my players, my organization, my business. I don't care about all that other shit. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you do on weekends. I don't care who you're dating. What your passions are, what your passions aren't, what your political views are—don't give a shit. If you're gonna help me, help my team, our team, my business, whatever I'm doing, you're hired. Simple as that. Now that's that's old school these days, yeah. bro. That's very controversial to say. You know, I, I make I actually make no apologies for being controversial, but I will never, I, I can never look at skin color, religion, race, creed, any of that shit when it comes to hiring someone, being friends with someone, talking to someone. It's just not something that I think about. I think um, a good person is a good person to me. And yeah, all that other shit. Like you said, it's just it's it's a little of a passive aggressive tweet by him. And I get why he's saying it with everything going on, but it, it kind of ruins your whole course because Jalen Brown's pretty big in the social justice stuff, which he has every right to do, but I think it diminishes all the work that he's done by 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 putting something out there like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then some idiots gonna think this He's like what, you don't want to play for a white coach. You you don't like Coach Stevens because he was white even though that's not the case it's definitely not the case well at least I would think it's not the case but then like you start going down this path and people are going to start calling you out for things like that and it's not it's not true I get what he's saying he wants you know he wants as much equality in the league as possible he wants as many African-American people of other races coaching teams I get it but once you start saying things like that you start you start putting yourself out there for the wrong reasons and i don't know man maybe it's because it's 4 30 in the fucking morning and we've already recorded this thing three times because <laughs> I, 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 you're on you know but uh, i don't know but it just it just you know yeah it's a but that's what i'm saying like i'm 46 fucking years old uh you know what i'm i i sort of backed up after like being a little bit agitated by the, the comment and then i'm like you know what non-starter i know where he's coming from it, it's not smart in my opinion and you just move on from there, and that's it. I don't give a fuck. I less. think there's a. That's how we think. I think a
0: quality of opportunity is at all time high in the NBA. A um, quality outcome should never be something that's a mantra for anyone. Um, you give everyone the equal opportunity. The outcome is determined by the best candidate, the best person for the job. Okay, fa- uh, you got some fact or fake news for us, bro?
1: Sure. Major changes will be made in Utah based on the latest playoff
0: collapse. Fake news. I think they. I think they give it one one more year with coaching and the squad. There'll be some tweaks, but by major, I think we'll see a very similar starting lineup. Some tweaks on the bench obviously need to be made. Coach will still be there, so I think fake news for next season. You. I've heard some rumblings about
1: issues between management and coach. Oh so, wow! And Exclusive. I, yeah, and I, I you know, and I don't. Think that Quinn's—I uh, don't think Utah is going anywhere. So maybe a shakeup in the front office. I don't know. We'll see. Well, it is a new uh, owner. You know,
0: it is a new owner, so he might—you know—he might want to have his paw prints on, on the club with what he f- feels is right initially. Yeah. You know, you just never know. You know, you know how it is with new owners when they get that, that first couple of years in. Like you said, whoever gets his ear first might win that lottery ticket. But
1: but I'll tell you what though. Like, look, Qu- Quinn's done a hell of a job for that team as a coach. Very good. The GM, Dennis Lindsay, has put together a hell of a team. Now look, Gorbert, nobody wanted to draft Gorbert his first year. Everybody thought he was soft. You know, they didn't think he was tough. They didn't think he was going to last in the league. They take a chance on him. Donovan Mitchell, you know, everybody loved him in his workout. But again, a little bit of a second thought on lottery teams and things like that. They take a flyer on him and that happened. Then they do all these other things like acquiring Mike Conley, you know, they got Royce O'Neal, they got Conley, you know, they, they brought in Clarkson. They've done a good job with salaries. They've done a good job putting that team together. They got a good coach, a good GM. This is where this shit gets everybody fucked up for no reason. Like, the GM just do your fucking job. The head coach just do your fucking job, and everybody's good. But like again, I don't know why there is a rift. Maybe it's tr- Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not true. But I've heard from a couple of people that there is a rift, and there might be a change. And the owner's got to make a decision. And I don't think he's gonna make it. D- I don't think he's gonna do anything with Quinn Snyder. Is what I'm saying. So I don't know. But I, think, I don't think there'll be a major change on their roster. I think they have going to make a decision on Mike Conley, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, I think they could, they could re-sign him for short money and maybe shore up that second unit. But I don't think there's going to be a major change. All right. So, the NBA will have its first female head coach in 2021. Oh, wow. Fact or fake news?
0: That's a tough one. Um, oh, man, there's a lot of openings, and there is a lot of people beating that drum about why it hasn't happened yet. It should happen. We hear... Now, Becky Hammond being thrown in there and Weatherspoon was even even thrown in there um, with the New Orleans job. So 2021, I'm going to go fake news, but I, I will put a caveat in and say we'll, we'll see it in the next couple of years. But for 2021, I'm going to fake news it.
1: Yeah, I would say fake news too for the reason most of these teams that have openings, you need to win. and And hiring somebody with no head coaching experience in general is going to be tough. You know, like, okay, so you go to Boston. Now, Boston's a tough one because you would think that they would want somebody to take those young players deeper into the playoffs than they've had. You know, but I guess they're going to go with an assistant, from what I've heard. So they're going to go with, you know, like Charles Wee, Jamal Mosley, Adoka, or um, or Chauncey. But, like, you know, New Orleans is in a tough spot because – they got to win. They got to like go great with Zion. Are you going to take a chance at hiring the first woman in, NBA, women, woman in NBA history to coach your team when not knowing if she's going to be good at a job right away and then risk losing Zion? Um, the one team that comes to mind that might do it would be, I would think that Orlando Magic might have a chance at hiring a woman. Um, they're a young team. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of like expectation on playoffs and things like that. So you could you could develop a coach. Uh, Matt Bonner's sister, I think her name's Becky Bonner, if I'm not mistaken, is is deep into their front office in the Orlando Magic. You know, and and I know she'll be an advocate for a female coach as well. Now will they do it? Probably not. You know, I've heard Jamal Mosley. I've heard Penny Hardaway. I've heard, um, I've heard Udoka, Charles Lee. You know that they, they're trying to get in on Chauncey. Maybe they hire a veteran coach. Maybe they hire a Stotts, or they—I don't think Stotts, but you know, maybe they hire someone like that. Um, but I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, these coaches, these these teams won't. Um, Because again, a lot of them, they can't take a chance. Like Indiana can't take a chance again on an assistant. Like they got to hire, you know, like, like, you know, like a Steve Clifford, um, D'Antoni, Carlisle, you know, someone like that. Um, I don't think they're going to go with, uh, with uh, an assistant or a woman, in my opinion, and take the chance on developing when a lot of everybody's sort of everybody's sort of like on the hot seat on, on a lot of these places. I just don't see it. But, you know, I'll tell you what, the team that does it will have about, you know, three years of unbelievable press. And that's good. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of – but that's the truth though. You know, and that's Sounds the truth no wrong. where – What?
0: Yeah, you won't be able to do no wrong for the first couple of years, that's for sure, even if you go over oh, yeah. two.
1: And you're the first team. And that's a big thing in today's society, being the first. Look, we got stats all the time, being the first one, first one, first one. These owners, it's unbelievable press for them. And imagine if, like, not only do they hire a woman, but she's successful right away. I mean, then, then they can never do any wrong. Like, you, you've got, you know, going forward, you're, it's, it's unbelievable for you. So let's not go into that. I, I just think it's fake news. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I'm with you. I think it's going to happen within the next, you know, the next 24 months last but certainly not least the Philadelphia 76ers will trade Ben Simmons um if they don't go deeper into the playoffs so let's say they lose uh lose this in this round they'll they'll trade Ben Simmons fact of fake news well, there's, there's
0: a lot of talk out I'm there. I'm sorry
1: if they don't go to the finals if they finals don't go to the finals
0: I think yeah you know, either, either part, you know conference finals or or finals but I think there's a lot of talk around it um but you know, if you go top four and you're right there to make the finals, do you really blow up your team? I don't think so. I think you make tweaks. But there is some some public perception. There's the free throw issue. People are starting to rail on Ben a little bit. You know, he's still an irreplaceable defensive player. His athleticism is a lead in the league with what he can do in the open floor. He has some flaws, but so does Giannis. So does Zion. They have those same flaws. He's just got, I think we just get a. He just gotta get in the gym and work through it. We, we hear about um, him spending time on that every off season, and it just never really comes to fruition. Like, like you always say, the the the, the three point shooting videos we see in the off season, we don't need those. We don't need those. You know, I think I think if he he can just get to sixty five seventy percent from the line, where they can't hack him and take his aggressiveness away, he's halfway there. The threes, who cares about the three? Um, and you say that about Giannis and Zion, it's the same thing. The three ball, yeah, it is valuable today, but they're never going to be that guy that's going to shoot volume three. So, I mean, his trade value is probably lowered a little bit with his playoff performance. And that's kind of the the danger of going deep into a playoff series and deep into a seven-game series. His teams are going to try different things and try, try some gambles and risks that sometimes work and make you look – Pretty bad. Um, I think that's what's happened. You know, if Ben, if they were knocked out in the first round or didn't make the playoffs, no one would even be talking about this. You know, so I think he's a victim of being on a successful team, like you said, having that superstar status, being on a successful team, more eyeballs. You're down to the the last, potentially the last four teams left standing. There's a lot more critics now, so I don't think they will. I'll say fake news. They won't um, trade him, um, but I think that if they if they get to next season and they're in the same problem in the playoffs. So I think that'll be in Philly for Ben.
1: Yeah, I think that – I would say it's fact. I think that they would really look to trade him. Um, I think that, you know, look, Daryl Morey is going to try to put a stamp on the team. Um, if they don't, like, look, if they go to the finals or whatnot, you know, if they win this series and they even they go to the conference final or a final possibility of not, but if they don't go to the final – I think he'll look to make a move. There are, um, there are pl- teams I think that would that would deal you their player for him. I mean, he does make a lot of money. I think he makes about thirty million bucks. So, you know, there are there are people that you could trade to. But again, the shooting is such a problem. You know, it's such a problem, and he needs to identify. He needs to. You know, it's going to hurt his value long term with teams that really want him, and it's going to hurt his ability to win championships if he's going to – Look, if he's shooting 69, 70, like it's a, it's not great. It's not mock price, but it's not bad. But even, but 60, when even 60, 60
0: pro, like 60, you still can't – you can't really hack at 60s, low 60s. Like you're hacking, well, you're hacking a game. He
1: shot 60 – yeah, he shot 61. That's the thing. Oh, did he really the shot 61 for the year this year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which is weird. And now, but the you know how the playoffs are; it's a different
0: yeah, it's right. animal. Yeah, but still, yeah, it ramps still up. Still doesn't look comfortable. Whereas Giannis, no, like Giannis looks no. uh, as, as strange as this sounds. He looks more comfortable, <laughs> you know, getting to the line. Yeah, um, but Giannis now, does. I didn't know he was sixty during the year because because if you're at sixty, yeah, you're very hard to hack because you're above a point of possession. You know, if you're low fifties. 40s for sure. If you're low 50s, you know even some coaches don't like doing 56, 57% free throw shooters. They might take a, a one-hat gamble and see if you make one or two, they stop doing it. But it seems like you know, yeah, they're going to go at him even if he's at 70 during the regular season, they'll probably still go at him in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. And, and the playoffs is such a different thing. So, yeah, but he needs to address it. Now, the problem, again, is national team stuff. Look, you want to play national team just like anybody else. Now, if he, if he opts out of the national team, That's the one thing I would get into the gym, you know, and do that all summer and deal with that because that, I'm telling you, spending three months on that thing and two and a half months, however long he's going to have before training camp opens up, it's going to be huge. You know, maybe he can do both because again, he's not retooling his whole shot. Just like Giannis, higher arc, softer on the rim, give it a little gravity. He doesn't have to change his whole shot to do that. So I think if he does that, Damn, pro. Same thing with Giannis. I think You just gave It'd him
0: an out. You just fucking gave him an out for the national team, bro Hang your head in shame.
1: Well, yeah, like the whole. First of all, uh, he's not exactly Rocky fucking Balboa when it comes to working out in the summer, for what I'm told. So believe me, he's not going to want to. He's not going to opt out to work on his game. So that's that's number one. He'll 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 play national team. Now you know what. Since I'm opposite, should I say he's not going to play national team? Well, you
0: kind of just did. You said you'd rather him spend time. He might listen to this and say, "Yeah, Pro's right. I'm, I'm opting out." Pro said it. Blame Pro. So
1: <laughs> everybody else blames me. Why the fuck not? The other I issue I have I probably,
0: with Philly, it seems like Embiid's game and Ben's are polar opposites. Am I am I right in that yep. assumption? Ben is a yeah, Ben is sure. a perfect guy you'd have on those old school Phoenix Sun teams with an Amari at the five, just run and gun nonstop, whereas Embiid's not that guy. He's a, you know, slow it down a little bit, let me get my touches, you know, I'm going to punish you on the block. It, it kind of, those two worlds look like they're colliding, and I've mentioned this before, when they go, you know, go to those ISOs with Embiid, the only place you can put Benny's in the dunker and, and guess where his defender is. So you might be right as far as Maury, you know, if they, they see Embiid as that guy, which health was always a problem, so they probably didn't want to make that decision. But Embiid's playing through injuries, he's having a hell MVP caliber season. I'm just not sure they're, they are a long term fit together.
1: Yeah. I mean, the shooting has to, get, has to rectify itself because I think, like, look, he's got, he's a great vision. He's obviously a very good defender. You know, he's a good player, he's an athlete, he's all that. But he needs to he needs to be able to make a shot, especially in free throws. Just mid range shooter. I don't care about threes, but make your free throws and, and address your free throw shooting. But, fact. So I go fact. I, I say okay. he'll he'll get belt because you're not going to deal Embiid. I mean, you're not going to deal a guy who could actually make shots, and then pair a, you know trade that guy away. Whatever you're going to get, you'll get you. If anyone's going to get moved, it's probably going to be Simmons. If there is, yeah, and they have got two
0: all league defenders, I guess you could look at it that way too. Like if you're really worried about losing an all league defender, you've got an all second teamer in Thiebel anyway. So, yes, it will be interesting to see. I will follow that closely. We're not going to get to Q and A's because us two idiots have managed to have a, a two hour podcast take four hours to record. <laughs> <laughs> so fantastic! We're going to wrap up episode twenty-five. Thanks for joining us at Rogue Bogues. Hope you enjoyed. Please like, subscribe, and share all that fun stuff. Check out at Hoop Consultants online. Thanks, Pro. We will watch this week closely and have more to chat about next week.
1: Sure, let's do it. See you guys next week.